The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. Hello and welcome to the Doctor Who pod. My name is Sai. Joining me as always is my partner in time, Dan. And it's only bloody guest day. Love a guest day, Dan, don't we? Yeah, I love a guest day because I get to hear less of your voice. Yeah, I think that's why everyone enjoys it. <laughs> I listen to enough of you, mate. There's too much stuff on SJP World Media. I've listened, I'm pretty sure I've listened to you talk more than members of my own immediate family. Wow, my dulcet tones, mate. Yeah, you know, stuff in it. Just, just draw me in. Just draw. Velvety me. voice. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a plate, obviously. <laughs> yeah, that's that's we, that, we all know that's uh, that's Ben off Rantomisters. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I'm excited to get into this. Um, uh, I've just been to see Ant Man, so I'm very energised and yeah, ready to go because uh, I've got a lot to say about this episode. I don't know about yourself. Well, I'm just going to sit here and listen then. All right, fair enough. But yeah, it's, uh, it is guest day. You've already heard a little voice in the background chuckling away at our bullshit, <laughs> wondering what the hell she's got herself into. We've got Beth already on. Beth, how are you? Hello. Um, I didn't know what else to call you because I just went by your Twitter handle. So and it'd just be a Beth, bit, really? It'd be a bit disparate. Yeah, but I've got to distinguish between the Beths. And there's too many Beths. <sighs> there's too many. It's a not unique name. <laughs> all, all, all two of them. <laughs> all two of them in the world, yeah. <laughs> and it's great to have you on, though, and uh, you've picked as a, a Jodie Whittaker episode. Yes. I know I said side so do the introductions, but he seemed just, he's already gone into just listening mode, so. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's just pressed mute. <laughs> yeah, that's it. For a second, that's I, thought I, had, I thought I had frozen, but obviously I haven't. I'm just not moving very much. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, so what happened there was Cy was sat there not moving his head. And then wondered why his head wasn't moving. He just got caught in an infinite loop. <laughs> yeah, I get so confused so easily. It's like um, a dog, like a dog seeing its own reflection. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so Beth, I mean, this is the first time that I've ever spoken with you. I think even on Twitter or anything like that. Uh, what we normally do when we have guests on the show is well, I'd, every guest we've had is a first time guest, and it's so we try and keep up. With, with all the seasons we're doing eventually we're going to get around to repeat guests and so on but it's it's always somebody new we're talking to which i think is yeah. you know which is fantastic so what i normally ask is how did you first discover this this crazy world of an alien in a little blue box uh, and sort of a bit of background with your fandom sort of favorite stories favorite villains favorite companions doctors and so on really Oh gosh, when I said I was going to do a podcast, I didn't think I'd actually have to say any opinions of my own. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> I hadn't really set up anything. No. Um, so, 
um, around the time that I was born or kind of like toddler two or three was about the time of the revival of it. And because my dad had been a big fan of the original, it was very much a, you know, too young to have my own opinion. So this is what you're watching kind of thing. And just a very um, captivated by it from a very young age when I just didn't really know what was going on. But um, and yeah, so just kind of watched it since then. And then um, more recently, so during uh, COVID, me and my dad started doing a full rewatch of the modern era and then kind of got back into it, really. Okay. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. So you say when the revival started, you were mm-hmm. sort of two or three years of age. Yeah. That makes me sick. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm 18 now. I can drink 18, and drive. 30, yeah. 2005, so, I was well. I'd left school, left college, and probably been arrested a few times by then already. So <laughs> <laughs> I now feel about a million talking to you. But you know, great stuff. Okay, I, I was still in school, so I don't feel as bad. Yeah, all right. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I mean, you've chosen um, the two-parter spy for from Jodie Whittaker's *Time as the Doctor*. Uh, what people who who listen to the show and sort of interact with us on Twitter may know is that with the majority of Jodie Whittaker's stuff. I've not gone back and watched it since it aired. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to be hitting it again soon. I'm doing a big watch back with my daughter and sort of going through it. So we're sort of coming towards the end of Capaldi's run. So we're going to be watching that soon. So, and again, a running theme of the podcast is that my memory, shall we say Dan is a bit on the wobbly side? That's polite. <laughs> yeah. Um, memory or just it's... original learning? Yeah. It's... <laughs> oh, I forgot that. No. It's, 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 mostly, it's mostly lager. Mostly, <laughs> too far, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> I tend to find when I'm watching certain new Who stories for the podcast, it's almost like I'm watching them for the first time because I don't, I don't remember a great deal, especially with Whitaker and Capaldi. I mean, Tennant I've seen a lot of, but yeah. So, in watching this back for the show, uh, what well, earlier today, it was again so much happened that I'd forgot happened. There are certain moments that stand out to me, but yeah. I mean, why did you select this above anything else? Um, so I thought it was interesting as that we'd, I think when we'd chosen the episode, it was before Power of the Doctor. So I thought that it'd be interesting when we were filming this, that or recording this, that we would be reviewing it after that final episode of Jodie's and kind of being able to reflect back on if they'd ever brought any of those themes back up. That kind of, because I feel like Spy 4 was one of the, like, pivotal Jodie episodes because I think before then people were kind of a bit like mm, is this really it but I feel like this was with the one where she kind of got into it obviously spoilers if you haven't seen it if you haven't seen it then why listen to this um, <laughs> when, um you know the new new master reveal and I, I really think that um my opinion with the Jodie is that sometimes the writing doesn't let her full potential come out but I think when she's opposite Sasha Duane she just comes out to her full potential. I think that was really shown in this episode. And I think that's kind of one of the first times I was like, actually, she's up there. See, that's that's really funny you mentioned that because I felt that watching this back today, it all brings back memories of certain, of when I watched it the first time around. And I can remember watching, because this was um, New Year's, wasn't it? This was a January mm-hmm. New Year's Day, um, was it a special or the start of the season? Start of the season. Start of the season. Yeah. Okay. 
it was the first time I was fully convinced with Jodie Whittaker. Mm. There are moments in season one, but this, this, especially the first episode in this two-parter, I was like, yeah, mm. I get, I, I kind of get this now. Yeah. So, definitely. with regards to um, Whittaker herself, then is does she rank highly amongst your your preferences when it comes to the person playing the Doctor? Is that why you selected her, or have you got other Doctors you prefer? Um, I think I always think it's a bit of a combination of the season the episode the story and things like that that kind of make me prefer other doctors and I think Jodie didn't used to be higher but since that double parter and kind of the flux and the specials I really think Mm -hmm. that she's gone up there I think she's one of my like favorite new who doctors I think and obviously this sounds so basic but David Tennant obviously yeah (laughs) it's one of those like kind of he was very much one of my doctors, obviously my doctor growing up, and then re-watching it, and it's... I think the special thing with David Tennant is you know he's a fan, mm-hmm. and it's that kind of... You see that passion that he's got when playing the character, and kind of the there's little anecdotes and references. And I, This is what I like about the Spyfall episode, is a lot of the master callbacks to Classic okay. Who. Um, I think those are really clever and smart and I think that's something that's really good with David Tennant's Doctor and then um, when re-watching recently I think Matt Smith's story arc in particular the kind of Amy Pond and um, River Song story I think that whole series arc was phenomenal so I think that kind of He's not one of my favourite Doctors, but I think kind of those seasons yeah, are some of my okay. favourite. I think. Don't, don't get so started on Matt Smith. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't Matt Smith that was the problem. It was all the Amy and Rory stuff. We've covered this. <laughs> yeah, Rory's a wet wipe. <laughs> he, he is a wet wipe, yes. So, Dan, Spyfall, what were your initial thoughts going back to watch this? Is this the first time you've seen it since it aired, or...? Uh, I think I may have watched it once after it aired because I was the first time I watched it. I was really, really impressed by it. Really enjoyed it. Um, you know, I'll, I've never been the biggest Bond fan, but you put anything with Doctor Who, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna probably love it. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, well, I suppose we'll. Like I said, I came in with fairly high hopes for it. I knew it was one of the better Jodie stories, and it's always interesting doing a two-parter. So I was optimistic and I wasn't let down. I'll just throw it out there right now. Um, okay. What you say about watching uh, classic who and Betty talk about like the throwbacks to the master, you know, to the master and various stuff in tenantry. I understand. So I understood so many more little things in this two parter yeah. after sort of three seasons now of doing this podcast and watching some of the older stuff. So I might actually even enjoy this more now than when it first aired, Definitely. which is, yeah. Okay. Yeah, <clears throat> which was a bit unexpected. Um, so I guess we'll do what we always do when we have a guest on, and I'll, I'll launch into uh, a bit of the episode. Um, just first thing I noticed, I, we're recording these a little bit out of order, um, but one of the first things I noted, noticed was that it was all over the place because we start in Ivory Coast, and there's a sniper there aiming at a van. Something moves out of the rocks. There's a scream and we hear a shot. Then we're in a plane over the Pacific descending into Tokyo. Uh, there's a very forced conversation between a man and a woman as they hand over a wash bag. 
the woman goes to the toilet, pulls a message out of the toothpaste and is photographing it with her glasses, which instantly, you know, we're into spy shit and it's really cool. And then a figure comes out of the wall and the lights flicker, which, as we've seen in so many episodes, so we know we know the mean shit's about to go now. Yeah, flickery lights on that this <laughs> one. Yeah, and then we're in Moscow and there's a bloke running through across traffic, gets into a safe house, awaiting an extraction team, thinks he's safe, and one of these figures comes out of the ceiling and drops through the paintwork and drops down onto him. And I was just immediately in for it. Mm. But the, yeah. the jumping around is something that sort of gets revisited in The Power of the Doctor. Like I said, we're recording these out of order, so we just recorded that last week. So that was really fresh in my mind. Yeah, and um, it comes out next week. <laughs> is that right? Yeah, no. Wait, where are we? Who are we? <laughs> it comes out the week after this, yeah. Yes, that's right, yes. Don't do that, Don't because I rely on you to keep me in schedule. <laughs> I'll, I'll figure it out off, eh? You're putting me on the spot, man. Um, so what about you guys? Were you just instantly hooked into that like I was? Beth? Um, yes, I know. I thought it was kind of... I felt like this wasn't much like Doctor Who as we've seen from the past few seasons. Mm. It very much felt like American sci-fi, so kind of I got the feeling of like Torture Miracle Day, kind of. Ooh. You definitely know it's got a lot of... <laughs> it's got a lot of references to not just Bond stuff, but a lot of other spy genre. Like every... Mm pop culture reference to spy things it referenced everything that it could in you know two hours but i did think that this kind of intro and start to it definitely felt like american sci-fi so a bit different than than the regular doctor which for me is as long as you know as long as it doesn't continue in that work vein because fuck knows we don't need another talk with miracle day (laughs) (laughs) I don't get that. So right. you, you might get you might get around to <laughs> no. that at some point. Yeah, sometime. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe. The, I'll, um, make you, I'll make you watch it for us for us for us a podcast series, and you will hate me. Okay, not just a hostage situation. <laughs> <laughs> Is it that bad? He's sending paper coins to his family. <laughs> he is safe. No, <laughs> we're not physically shit. torturing, just mentally torturing him. Sharon won't give a shit if she knows he's with me. She'll oh god, he's, he's taking him away for a few days. <laughs> <laughs> um, you mentioned about the Bond vibes and so on, which is, especially in this first part of this this two parter, there's a lot of James Bond vibes. I mean, even the name Spyfall is a takeoff of a Bond movie, isn't it? And this opening scene really, I, I, I wish I'd looked it up beforehand. Again, I'm so unprepared as normal, but it's there is a classic bond film i guess going back to the, i think it's the 70s i think it may be a roger moore one where this does happen there are spies elsewhere different double o's i guess working for for the british intelligence who are getting bumped off and that's the intro to the film and then you get the ordinary bond music and it kicks off so as soon as i started watching this i was like oh this is just like whether it's live and let die or something like that so i got a real kick out because i'm a big bond fan as well so i liked that clearly yeah, tailor made for you then. This, and after all those exotic locations, we're in Sheffield, and uh, Ryan's playing basketball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he misses, Which, doesn't he? Only just though. Mm. Only just because yeah. it's it's Ryan's whole um, dyspraxia story arc, and and that's all coming along, and we get sort of an insight into the excuses he's been using to avoid his friends while he's been travelling with the doctor. 
the hernia appendicitis, detached retina. And detached now he's Australian. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I I've seen thinking... someone use that. I've seen someone that happened to someone. Right. How did that look? Well, it, it didn't look comfortable. And there, was a, there was a guy playing for uh, Gloucester City in the 90s. And, you know, he was a record signing, Dan. He cost us £17,000. Um, <laughs> I thought you were going to say £17. <laughs> <laughs> he cost us a pack of cheese and onion and some fruit pastels. And um, <laughs> he, he sort of headed the ball past the defender to run onto it. But the defender cleared it straight back into his face. And that was it. He's been blind in the one eye ever since because he detached his retina. But the yell he let out, oh, it was not nice. Cost £17,000 of improvements to Gloucester City. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> a detached retina is about the best thing that can happen to you in Gloucester, isn't it? <laughs> well, there is that, I suppose. You know, after you walk around the cathedral, go onto the docks and sink on my street, there's Jack all else to do, is there? I've been to Gloucester, but you know. Add <laughs> detached <laughs> retina onto the bottom of that. <laughs> yeah, that's it, yeah. <laughs> is it the site of Fred's West Place? Next on the list, detached retina. Job's done. <laughs> yeah, completely. <laughs> um, but after all that, and you know, Ryan's mates miss him, and then blokes in suits in a BMW show up. Very men in black, wasn't I, it? Yeah. I was thinking with all his injuries, he's saying he's travelling, but who the hell is playing, paying for his travel insurance? That, <laughs> that is through the roof with all these injuries. He just would have declared it. Absolute liability. <laughs> God, you've set you've set off, you've set off traumatic memories of, of working customer service talking about travel insurance. <laughs> I could go into a big explanation. I could go into a big explanation of it, but that would bore the piss out of everybody. Um, next up, next up with Yaz, uh, a sister's bugging her for someone's number, and she's going on her third secondment, and you know they're chatting about all this, and she's only on probation and. And, and all of that, and all the while, the dad's trying to get Alexa to work because obviously, there's that's the biggest thing to worry about, other than his uh, his daughter going off on another mysterious police mission. <laughs> I got, I got that, that was almost like a personal dig watching that because I've had that experience. <laughs> Why am I not surprised? <laughs> the wife's got a Alexa, and I've got one of these like little Google blob things, you know, what like the gray thing that you stick on the wall. And what are you laughing at? <laughs> well, it looks like just, it's just a grey official thing. trademark name yeah but when I was <laughs> trying to set it up I, I, got, I didn't want the bloody thing but I got it free with my, my mobile phone so Sharon was like you should use that it'd be good and I was like mm, okay I'll give it a go so I set it up on the wall and all that trying to get it to work man because what happens is every time I shout at that the other one answers but when the other <laughs> one answers it starts talking to the Google one the Google one ignores me answers to the Alexa and then they're both shouting back and forth each other. I'm just getting my hair off. The dog's going mad. Everybody, everybody thought after watching Terminator that the, that the machine uprising <laughs> would come with, with super intelligent military AI. What it actually, what actually happens is a Google blob and an Alexa just get pissed off enough at side that they decide to rise up and kill him. <laughs> I just unplugged it, mate. It's still, it's still there. It's still sat on the wall. Just unplugged. Just it's literally, it's literally a block of plastic on the wall. I, I can't wait for the day that red light goes on without you realizing. <laughs> you say about the machines uprising. Just come to mind. We'll be perfectly safe. There's nothing here. <laughs> Just unplug it. It is. It's unplugged. I use it in Yonks. I've put, probably since that day, to be fair. And since then, it's been waiting. Mm. Plot, plotting. <laughs> Collecting <planning>. evidence. <laughs> <laughs> they are, aren't they? They are listening to you. 
So is your phone. It's going to start. Yeah. It's a machine upright anyway. We're getting off topic. That's not like us. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, he has his massive worker all right with it, and she says yes, and then her boss blatantly isn't, because it's actually a false secondment. And he's losing his best probation and says it's the last time, and the men in black are there again. And then Graham's getting a, a cancer checkup. He, he's clear. He's... He's all, you know, he's all good. There's, they have the usual commiserations after his uh, after his wife's passing, and I feel bad now because I can't remember the character's name. Um, and Chris. as he leaves, that was it. Yeah. Um, and as he leaves, the doctors, Men in Black. Next up is a visual that I absolutely loved, and it's Jodie working under the TARDIS in a little mechanics workshop. Yeah, all the all the workings hanging out and so on. Yeah, the, the goggles and everything oh, the like goggles, that. Yeah. Look, it just looked it's just seeing the TARDIS up on a jack like that. <laughs> um, and then I wanted to cringe into my own ass like an armadillo because she's leaving a voice message for the fam. Mm. Yes, yeah, cringe. I hate that word. I hate that word with a passion. <laughs> Do you know it's really strange? Fam because or cringe? Fam. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> it's funny we spoke about this last week, which comes out next week called Wibbly Wobbly some, Time Wimey Conversation. Uh, <laughs> about how much we hate that whole farm, TARDIS farm mm. thing. And I cringe when other people say it, I cringe when it's used on the TV. But my little sister, I say little, she's she's 40 this year. Uh, but, <laughs> <laughs> she's not she's a little, she's just far away. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Sai si is completely the Dougal in this situation. <laughs> that was brilliant. Um, <laughs> she'll say, Famalam. Oh. But she's talking to my nieces and my daughters who are very close, they're their friends and all that. For some reason, coming from my sister, talking to the kids, completely fine. Any other scenario, I hate it. Especially it's a, on Doctor Who. It's just a bit triad, isn't it? Mm. In mm. Doctor Who. Yes. Like the, the script, it feels like the script writers have sat down and said, what can we, you know, what, what word can we use? Mm. Yeah, buzzwords. Or, yeah. If you had a word cloud and they're like, that one. Yeah, it's no. a bunch of wankers in a room deciding on it. Um, <laughs> it just doesn't <laughs> feel natural. Um, but anyway, the men in black show up. Um, all all the companions are in are in the car, but Jodie's too busy. She wants to finish uh, draining the water slides, boating lakes, and rainforest floor. And Graham continues to be the most relatable companion ever because he just leans out of the car and yells, "Worst Uber ever!" He's brilliant, isn't he? <laughs> he is fantastic. How do you feel about Graham, Beth? Just as a oh, character, I think in he's general? great. Like I, I always think it's a good idea when they have a comedian as a companion so you know Catherine Tate John Bishop um Bradley Walsh like they're always the best and it kind of that dynamic it really suits Doctor Who well um mm. just that fast-paced one-liners obviously not for the whole show but kind of especially when the writing especially in Chris Chibnall's era is so dry and as we say forced mm. it you know when these people can think on their feet it it really adds to it. Yeah. It Gra- Graham, Graham feels like a real person to me. Yeah, definitely. Mm. We said, when we spoke about Graham before, didn't we? I wasn't convinced at first when he was cast because, mm. and again, it comes down to what I've seen and previous experiences, I guess. To me, he's just that bloke from the chase. Yeah. And, and I was like, 
uh, a, a game show host on Doctor Who. I, well, I ain't sure about this. This is a bit weird. But to, to the wife, to Sharon, she'd seen him in like it was a Coronation Street and all that sort of stuff. And well, he was in Law and Order. That's right, He's Law and Order UK that, yeah. version. Yeah, yeah, and. So to her, it was, it was nothing different. It was nothing weird mm. at all because he's an actor. But to me, he was literally just the bloke from the chase. So mm. I was really unsure. But within the first episode, he'd won me over. He was just absolutely fantastic. I just like the fact he's always asking for food and complaining about running. It's uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's up my street. Um, so everybody's in the, in the one car. This big government issue Range Rover. They've got a sat nav on there just planning to go with the flow seal once and and then the driver gets lasered in the face. Yes, from the side. I was just thinking, you know, average Tesla. (laughs) Like, average user experience. (laughs) He got musked. (laughs) Yeah. This is is the future that liberals want. (laughs) I'm not not, going to start talking about Elon twatting musk. (laughs) Oh, Oh, what a bellend. Um, (laughs) The, doc, yeah, so the, the car starts driving itself, stops dead in the middle of a dual carriageway, it starts reversing, and I, th- I thought this was simultaneously cheesy and brilliant. When the stop, it says in five, the stop, or it, it's something's happened, I can't remember what, it says in five seconds, die, 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 die. <laughs> it was so cheesy, but so good. Again, this was ridiculously James Bond. And we get like a, a proper car chase later on, don't we? But again, it's incredibly James Bond. The, the the way it was speeding backwards through the traffic and so on, and even the way it even the way it was filmed mm. felt James Bond esque. You know, I like that. I thought I thought it worked really well. Mm. Yeah, I just wrote average Sheffield driver. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Yes, do we not like Sheffield then? I'm picking up a vibe. I like going to the <laughs> wrestling in Sheffield. I like being drunk in Sheffield, but I also like leaving Sheffield. Ah, okay. Like, out of the top ten things to do, like, as Dan said, the third one is leave. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it, it goes drink, wrestling, leave, and then probably spice. Spice. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm going to Sheffield in a couple of months. You remember Dan? We're for a chat. Do I? Uh, of course, I don't fucking remember. I can't remember shit. Uh, <laughs> well, you said you were going to meet me there, you knob. My brain's pickled. What do you mean? <laughs> um, Sharon's got a book signing in Sheffield, hasn't she? So we're going to Sheffield for a book signing. Remind me of the date. Okay. <laughs> Sometime. If there's a drink, he'll be there. Just kind of yeah. do a can, of, uh, a line of cans, <laughs> just up the motorway. I'll just lean out the B&B window and go. And yes. some, somewhere in York, you'll, you'll be going, hmm. <laughs> so I just popped one open. He's here. <laughs> just go for the camp myself, contact. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's technology I can get on board with. <laughs> well, technology you probably couldn't get on board with is the self-driving car with the laser sat-nav because the doctor just very in the nick of time gets the uh, reactivates the laser but has something reflective i'm assuming a mirror from somewhere yeah she grabs the the, the sort of rear view mirror from the front oh, of so the, the rear view. yeah 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 that wasn't painful attention i was looking at my notes by that point um and we get we get a very familiar voice on the over the uh, the intercom system complaining about what's been done to the car and <laughs> it, it's it's blatantly obvious that it's stephen fry 
But believe it or not, this isn't actually Stephen Fry's first appearance in Doctor Who. Okay. It isn't Stephen Fry's first appearance opposite Jodie Whittaker, if you've you right. probably already seen this on, if you've been scrolling through IMDb. I didn't, was, go, I, didn't, I didn't go that far. What, what, no. what was he in with Jodie Whittaker? They were in Centurions together. Oh, okay. I can't remember that film. I know I've watched it. <laughs> you probably watch it like hungover when it's been on ITV or something, and like a Sunday. <laughs> yeah, just sat, sat there, ah. absolutely, absolutely creatured. Just, I can't change the channel, the remote's on the other hand. <laughs> and it'll surprise no one to know that I've not seen that. Sai hasn't seen movies. No, I've not seen it. I've not seen any. No. <laughs> but as far as Doctor Who goes, it was uh, Stephen Fry was in the Death Comes to Time miniseries in 2001, 2002. Uh, he was the uh, the voice of the Minister of Chance. Yeah, okay. So there you go. Uh, and actually, I meant, nice. uh, I meant to say, uh, uh, Ravan Ganatra, who plays uh, Hakeem Khan, uh, Yaz's dad, uh, was in an episode of Torchwood. Uh, he played Neil in the episode Greeks Bearing Gifts, which I can't remember for the life of me. <laughs> Sorry about the football commentary. <laughs> <laughs> that was, He's uh, really, really excited about that episode of Torchwood, your dad, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> He's, 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 watch, he's, watch, he's watching Arsenal Aston Villa. I don't know why he's getting excited. He's not a fan of either club. <laughs> <laughs> they just kicked the ball and he went, football! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, what was going on? <laughs> um, about Greek sparing gifts, isn't that the one with... Um, is it like the alien girlfriend that like um, Tosh has? Yes. Yes, it is. That yeah. One. I remember that premise. I still can't remember anything about it. <laughs> Tosh had alien girlfriend. That's about all I've got. Yeah, that's all that's in my head about that as well. Yeah. More than me. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not saying much. <laughs> so we find out that it's uh, Stephen Fry's character is C from MI6 and he's just trying to, to bring them in. Um, could have asked a bit nicer, um, you know. The Doctor can actually appear wherever she wants. <laughs> um, but they get the TARDIS there without damage. There's no more mishaps. And Graham's just really excited because he always wanted to be a spy. Mm. And I just quite like that. And we get the classic misdirective C saying to Graham that he does actually exist. And Graham's just got a great what face on. <laughs> this was brilliant. I really enjoyed this. And like the little word, the little word in the ear and then... Stephen Fry does, it goes back to when he played Melchit in Blackadder, he does a great sort of line in pompous and so sure of his own knowledge, even when he's absolutely wrong. Mm. So now I've read the file, the doctor's a man. And Jodie just, just steps in and says she's had an upgrade. <laughs> it was just brilliant. I love this bit. Um, and it's just basically going... Uh, it was. This was one of the few sort of times where Jodie's doctor is annoyed or angry, and they actually let it shine through. Because mm. I think one thing that me and Sai have looked, uh, sort of thought looking back is so often the script and the direction had Jodie playing things quite light. Mm. Yeah. When it when it maybe shouldn't have been in you know in previous incarnations of the Doctor, it'd be it'd get a bit more serious. Yeah, so and was, I think. Carry on, take it away. No, I think I'm just going to go on a kind of off-topic rant, but I think this is 
the whole thing in the media of like women being angry like women can't be like not like kind of vengeful they're just kind of angry and bitchy and things like that and I think that's quite prevalent when you see the Jodie's incarnation of the Doctor especially kind of like when you've had like all of the previous modern Doctors having this anger and kind of being vengeful and it's like then Jodie's like hiya Mm. and it's like wait what and I think that's something that she really hones in on the end of um season 12 and I think kind of getting that anger out. and I think it's like again especially when she's up opposite Sasha Dewan she can she just is phenomenal and I think can let that anger out and that's when she really shines they do seem to bring the best out of each other sorry Dan that's, that's a brilliant point because we, we've spoken previously as, as Dan said about how Jodie Whittaker's version of the Doctor a great deal of the time does kind of confront these really dangerous, perilous moments mm. and it is too light-hearted sometimes. And there yeah. isn't that 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 edge or all that sort of dark side that you get with Tennant and Smith and, and whoever else. And Eccleston did it well as well, didn't he, when he go on a bit of a rant and so on. But I'd never put it down to Whittaker's Doctor in a comparison to the previous New mm. Who Doctors. That's the first time I thought of that. And maybe that's why it does bother me so much. Because yeah. all the other Doctors had that extra layer to them, that extra sort of level or, or extra step in their character. Whereas Jodie's Doctor didn't show it as much. Maybe that's why it bothered me. I don't know, because I, I enjoy that. When you see Tennant, you know, having to be stopped by Catherine Tate's character and from doing, you know, hideous things and all that sort of stuff. I love that kind of sort of inner battle, I suppose, with, with what the Doctor's mm-hmm. trying, to, trying to get through. But I never made the link of what, me liking that to it being missing from Jodie's Doctor to being the problem until you literally just say it. So I think that's a really, really interesting point. Yeah, and I think it's kind of, again, this is a bit of a... Again, I think this is, you know, a bit of a feminist tangent or whatever, but it's kind of that unconscious writing of, oh yeah, men can be kind of calculated and kind of they can like fight for what's right and kind of get like payback and things whereas women can't be they've got to be nurturing and they've got to be kind and they've got to be funny and if they do yell or be angry they're bitchy and mean and kind of they're overreacting and kind of they're delusional and they're over exaggerating and it's it's annoying and especially you know Doctor Who wanting to like Doctor Who is an inclusive show and has been for like even since you know the 1960s and I think kind of them going oh yeah we've got a female doctor and then kind of going this is really progressive yet you're not writing her in the similar way that you were writing the men it's it's it was an unconscious bias and that is really clear and I think that they knew that they were going to get back sorry this is a really (laughs) this is really angry um but I think that they they knew, obviously, when kind of casting her, that they would get a lot of backlash from the very, oh, the Doctor's got to be a white man kind of thing. The gamut. But set. then, yeah, and I think they set themselves up for failure by writing her badly as well. And I yeah. think if they'd kind of kept with that similar writing style or kind of 
similar characterization from the previous doctors i don't think there would have because it's like even i'm like sometimes i'm like mm, she isn't the best or like kind of when she started i was like mm, maybe not i think it is because of that the way they wrote it and i think it's kind of unf- i feel like it's unfair for jodie whittaker because i feel like there's some moments where overall she could have been strong and shined and stuff whereas it was the writing that kind of set her up to fail yeah i've said the same thing quite a few times the writing and direction let jodie down massively mm, um because it all those biases that you've said don't make sense in, in any situation but it it doubles down in this situation because the doctor is mm. the doctor that anger and that pain and that, that history doesn't go away. No. So why would the writer in, in any other in any other fashion, in any different fashion? It it Jodie could Jodie was Jodie was great, I enjoyed her time, mm. but she could have been so much more. It's like the when like I said, the unconscious biases took over because the thought process went as far as we're naming a we're naming a female doctor and nobody said, and what now? Yeah. There was again, it, it, possibly a decision done by committee with people around the table who thought, "Oh yes, this is a really good idea," but nobody, nobody thought any further on. Yeah. Yeah. Where do we go? What next? Kind of, you know. Yeah, and mm. everybody was just left to wing it, and ultimately didn't didn't do it justice for a lot of the time. Yeah. Which yeah. Totally really unfortunate. Totally. Um, uh, Beth, first of all, don't ever apologise for going on a bit of a sidetrack rant or anything like that. That's what this show is <laughs> about. Okay. And secondly, you've made some absolutely fantastic, brilliant, intelligent points. I mean, in the first 30 minutes of this show, I've been doing this for three seasons with Dan, and you've already got more in the bank than he has. So, <laughs> honestly, don't worry about it. Keep that up. You know, it's, it's really Thank interesting you. hearing your thoughts. You know? I'm not here for intelligence. I'm here to make shit jokes. You're the only <laughs> Comic relief. God, that's a bad situation to be in if I'm the eye candy side. This is good, this is a podcast. <laughs> no, my face is on the internet. It's new. made many people sick. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we're in the uh, we're in the off back to the uh, the episode. We're in the office with C. <laughs> and uh, we've got about ten minutes into the episode, we've been going forty minutes. <laughs> Might have to speed this up a little bit. <laughs> Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, C fills the doctor and the companions in on the attacks on intelligence operatives, and basically saying that they need the doctor's help. There's, they've got someone who hasn't quite survived an attack from the creatures, but the body's there. There's vital signs coming from it, but this woman is is hollow. She had a, a DNA completely rewritten, mm. which was a very sort of left it was a very left very much a left turn for me um and you know sort of the stakes are set there we've, we've got a bit of mystery and then we've got C showing off all the uh, all the gadgets anesthetic darts laser shoe gun which is just wildly impractical um <laughs> an infra, infrared id duplicator calendar hacker lock breakers, rocket launcher, cufflinks, which I kind of want, uh, retinal ID decoder, tongue immobilising chewing gum. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> I, again, it's very, very Bond. It's very Bond. It's it, you, you get in most Bond movies, don't you, the scene where 
Bond gets his mission or gets briefed by M, who is like the the, the main, and they, it's in that posh office and so on. So we've kind of got that scene here, and then we also then get the scene where he goes to see Q, who's in charge of all the gadgets and the sci-fi stuff, and is given all the gadgets that he needs for that particular mission. But there's always loads of other gadgets going on in the background, and it's kind of like a running joke throughout the Bond films. So this again, I got a massive kick out of it being a big Doctor Who fan and a big Bond fan because it is literally you know, a staple of all the Bond movies. I just got stuck on Razor Shogun. Right. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest. And then you were saying before about um, about comedians as companions, Beth. Next up, we mm. get uh, basically get Lenny Henry playing Daniel Barton, um, a tech mogul from essentially the uh, the, the Bromsgrove Zuckerberg. Um, what did you make of, of a comedian as, as essentially a villain? Doesn't he look well-rested? Yeah. <laughs> sleeping in all those previews. <laughs> <laughs> he's definitely oh, made the most of the free breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's done well for him as well. He's lost fuel for the day. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot was, he was in it. Shock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just glad he was better than Peter Kane uh, in, in the Absorbal Off episode. <laughs> I actually liked Peter Kay. Everyone hates that episode. And I think I've even written a reference, written a re- written, written a reference to it in R- some of my notes. <laughs> yeah. Well, there um, we go. When we cover that on the show, you'll have to come back and defend it then. Oh, yeah. No, I will. <laughs> That'll be a laugh. <laughs> <laughs> so we get filled in. Not laughing with me, laughing at me. Kind of laugh. <laughs> Every type of laugh. <laughs> we'll be just at you. <laughs> Probably at Sai as well. So I'd be like, a Doctor What now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was Peter King. Uh, all right, all right, come on. You've only been here half hour. I've <laughs> 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 already got you figured out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, like how you, I wasn't going to bring this up, but I like how you said at the start, this is the first time that you two have talked, despite the fact we've spent... The whole afternoon in the pub and the entire show at Cardiff. Yeah, I did think you came to Cardiff, but I also (laughs) can't remember much of that. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, we spoke. We spoke at the bar. Yeah, we did. (laughs) Yeah. I think you bought me a pint. I probably did. Oh, yeah. Okay, I remember now. There we go. Oh, I'm glad I sat on that one. I was gonna. I should have saved it till the end. <laughs> I did think so, but then I was like, I don't know whether just my dad's like bearded friends all look the same. I was gonna say, I there was know whether that was offensive. There, there was a lot of yeah. porky bearded middle-aged men there that day. <laughs> there was. There was. <laughs> Good-looking group. <laughs> um, so we get introduced to Barton and his company Vor, which is basically Google, and it's more powerful than most nations. And the doctor says that they need their best man, who's that a code name Horizon Watcher. And then we get a bit of cliche comedy over the code name O, as in the letter O. Oh, yeah. Um, but O is left. Uh, bit awkward. But the doctor has O on speed dial and gets a picture of a big fish. I like this. Oh, he, he can't <laughs> be found. We've been tracking him for ages. Don't know where he is. Oh, what's happened? I love yeah. that. I thought that was so good. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was unlike the use of the word fam actually just saying, oh yeah, what's happened didn't feel fast. No. 
<laughs> and again, it felt very light. And the, the things that I criticise Jodie Whittaker's Doctor for sometimes here, it worked. It was spot on. Because there's a time and a place for it. Yeah. And of course, it's when the Doctor can just speed dial one of the best like spy secret agents ever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, She's going through some more stuff about how uh, Barton might be a double agent and all that, and he gets shot in the neck. Yeah, he didn't last long, did he? I was. I think I've, we've just talked. We've have just talked about, it, but kind of this whole thing on her and the phone, on like speakerphone. It's like she's on The Apprentice, like <laughs> holding it out like that. And then I was thinking, with kind of when she like speaks into the on WhatsApp, is she sending a voice message or is she doing the text to speech? thing uh, that's a yeah. that it's a really um boring <laughs> Gen Z observation of me well, no, now, I, now i can't stop thinking about it everybody's in the tardis the they're trying to track down uh code name o and the doctor explains that the picture of the fish is steganography it's a picture behind the picture it's spycraft encoded uh whatever but one of the creatures starts making its way into the tardis and it was a great look of terror on Jodie's face at the prospect that something could actually get into the TARDIS like that. Mm. Yes. Absolutely love that bit. Yeah, and when they um, uh, eventually get rid of it as well, it almost vanishes backwards through the door, doesn't it? I thought that was a really good look as well. Yeah. Yeah, great. The special effects in this and some of the practical effects are just completely spot on. Mm. Um, Doctor decides to split everybody up, so... Doctor and Graham are going to Australia to meet O, and Yaz and Ryan are going undercover to infiltrate Vaughn and speak to uh, speak to Daniel Barton. Uh, Graham's pointing out that they've got all the gear but no idea, which is just a very Bradley <laughs> Walsh thing to say. <laughs> and and Jodie does sort of her Doctor's version of saying, no, it'll be fine. Well, it's probably not going to be fine, but it'll be fine. So 40% sure of success. And gives Yaz a bio scanner disguised as a voice recorder that I'm not sure was one of the weapons or one of the gadgets from MI6, but just seems like something the Doctor would have. Yeah, for a very you know very specific device that isn't it? You wouldn't you? I imagine you wouldn't need that in any other situation. To be fair, yeah. And it's always very handy that they kind of got this yeah. just random stuff. It's like oh, I found that at the back of the drawer the other day. It's like that's very handy for the plot. Yes, indeed. And again, that's a Bond thing. Well. Yeah. It's, it's a Bond thing as well. It's like he gets given a watch that's the, the dial spins round and turns it into like a little mini saw. He's never had it in any of these 20 films, <laughs> apart from this one. And that's the one time he actually needs to have a watch. <laughs> and it's like, oh, okay, I see what you're doing. <laughs> really, yeah. The really world's most impractical way to trim your nails. Mm, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and... But next up, we're in San Francisco, so we're still bouncing around. And we get a, a a bit of a miracle. Because Ryan actually manages to make me laugh. Okay. Because you say about the, the writing and, and direct... I said about the writing and direction doing Jodie no favours. They did... Do you fucking mind? Um, <laughs> <laughs> it really... They really do Ryan no favours, because he, he's so wooden and just a bit of a spare part for most of it. It, it, the, the literally, it feels like they literally chucked him in just to have dyspraxia on screen. I don't know if that's too much of a reach, but... I, f- least... I feel like kind of his, like, with the dyspraxia thing, it was like, oh, we don't actually have anything unique for this character. Mm. I, I, know, I think it was in the first episode, but 
I just feel like I don't really know why he's there. Like, I think there's a line that she says going, like, you're my best people for the job or something like that. And I'm like, Christ, you really could have chosen better companions. <laughs> like, <laughs> these guys, like, there's eight billion people in the world and you mean you're stuck with this guy? Uh, is it possible, maybe, that he's there uh, almost uh, almost box ticking because he's a young lad? Because if you look at the team there, the fam, bleh, you've got the doctor who has you know, regenerated into a lady. The one male companion is a middle-aged guy. And then you've got another lady there as a companion as well. Is it potentially trying to tick the box of relating to young lads watching the show, maybe? Because if he wasn't there, that would be kind of a gap in the, I suppose, in the type of people there, potentially, for want of a better phrase. I don't, I don't really think there's any young lads who see Ryan and go, that's my role model. <laughs> no, fair point, fair point. But it, I, I'm <laughs> talking more when, when, when they initially cast the, the character. There'll be plenty who look at him and say, I'm never going to be that boring. <laughs> <laughs> hey, he's got Yaz's sister after him. He must have something about him. I know, like... I think yeah. she's just not had a conversation with him. Or he's just been <laughs> travelling too much. She's just created this ideal of him. Yeah. Lack of, lack of options in Sheffield. <laughs> <laughs> he's got a pulse and no drug addiction. <laughs> and Yaz is against this as well. She's like, no, I'm not giving you his number. I'm not giving you her number. Oh, no, that's not happening. It's like, you basically live in the same time. Can't he just go knock on the door? <laughs> you know, it's got to be via phone. I don't understand. You know? Sheffield's a big place, a fairly big place. It's, it's entirely possible they don't know where each other lives. Oh, uh, okay. Fair enough. I've never been, so I don't know. To me, Sheffield could just be a road, I don't know. Sai <laughs> <laughs> thinks we all still all live these, in, in, thinks we still live in like... two, fucking, two fucking street mining villages. <laughs> <laughs> all these lovely, like, panoramic, like, aeroplane shots from this episode. I thought Sheffield were just a street. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I thought, it was a, I thought it was a bookies and a pub. Is that... <laughs> that's just the bit. That's just the bit you see. Yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, Ryan actually manages to make me laugh because he, they're going through the whole thing of the backstory and how they're getting in to see Bart and then and don't panic and then he, <laughs> and he just sort of spirals out and he, he starts worrying because he's picked Logan as his spine him and now he's worried he doesn't look anything like Hugh Jackman. <laughs> <laughs> Which an X Men reference is always going to get me. So. Fair play to that, and he uh, he actually played it well. He, he Ryan wasn't boring for once. Yeah, I wonder. If, I wonder if he is actually any good because I've never seen him in anything else. So I wonder if we we'd see him in a different show at any point. If if the guy playing Ryan is actually any good? Couldn't no, I haven't seen him in anything mm. else. No. No. Anyway, the. Um... <laughs> I don't want to get on another side. I don't want to get on another tangent. <laughs> not, not for another 30 seconds. Sorry, uh, I'll stop doing it. I'll, I'll stop. <laughs> no, you won't. We never do. Uh, they walk into the lobby and make, Ryan makes an absolute hash of introducing himself to Barton, but Yaz plays it off. And we find out that, shock horror, the, uh, the billionaire tech mogul is a bit of a dick because he's fired two of his PR team for not telling him that there was, a, that there was an interview scheduled. Uh, the TARDIS materialises in the uh, in the outback, and it's our first look at uh, Sacha Dowan, uh, who's playing Codename, all smiles. Got two Aussie agents there to uh, to protect him, and there's obviously some backstory between the Doctor and O, mm. which was obviously we don't know at this point that O is again spoiler alert that O's the Master. Yeah, but it's never explained how they first met. Like 
because she knows him as oh so it's like there's never any exposition as to why they've met or when they met or if they met in a previous doctor incarnation like it's just handy that she, he, she's got his number does somebody else that she's spoken to at mi6 is kind of the, the all the background we get isn't it it's kind of she's spoken to him before and that's it isn't it they do they do mention you know like some previous contacts and possibly working together and then the doctor just casually drops that she once lived in the outback for 123 years and saw loads of great rocks mm, i love a, love a great rock <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll even take a good rock you know yeah <laughs> There's something that people do, mind. My kids, they, you know, I did it when I was younger as well. You, you go to the seaside or whatever, you just take a rock home, don't you? Or a pebble and stuff. It's, it's the donkey out of Shrek thing. That is a nice boulder. <laughs> <laughs> and I told you it'd be 30 seconds children? for the next tangent. Are you likening my children to the donkey and Shrek? <laughs> I've got your brain. No, your children could never be that funny. Oh. <laughs> oh, 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 dear me. I'll be quiet for a bit now. No, keep them coming. <laughs> it's nice to have some backup. <laughs> so they're in, a, they're in a sort of shack with the two agents guarding him uh, outside. We get a sort of bit of backstory of O's name. Uh, it was a joke because whenever he'd come in and see uh, meet with C, he'd say, oh, God. So they just took the first bit. But um, Tish, brilliant. Um, O's basically sat out there with a load of information on extraterrestrials and alien incursions and uh, and the Doctor. Uh Finds out that finds out about C's assassination if it's aliens attacking spies and all the rest of it. This is one thing I didn't notice is in the early parts of this episode, this two part, there's there's a lot of catching everybody up, so we get keep getting the gist of what's happening multiple times. Yeah, sorry, that was my front door slamming. Right, uh, <laughs> with with O as well, he talks about having all this like information he's gathered and research on UFOs and so on. And he's got this huge pile of stuff all around this this hut, effectively, I think, this house. And he also says about the fact that he was mocked and they, they, they used to take the mickey out of him and so on. It's kind of Mulder and X-Files vibes, isn't it, in a way? Never seen X-Files. Oh, okay. Bit of a role reversal for us, Dan, isn't it? Look at that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, I've never seen X-Files. I got it. Oh, brilliant. Thank you. <laughs> How have you never seen X-Files? I thought that'd be right up your street. Well, just never got around to it. Okay, I'm 25 years late on everything. You know this. So. It's definitely <laughs> older than 25 years. So I was surprised you haven't just started watching it. Mm. I think it's on the slate for about two months from now. That's what, <laughs> that's, that's what I'm doing instead of going to Seaside, Jeff. Sitting there watching all the X Files. We're doing this sort of thing now where we're split between two stories and. and they're going to converge together because while the doctors with O, obviously we've got um, Yaz and Ryan interviewing Barton in their alter egos, um, with uh, with Ryan posing as a photographer using the camera to get a, a DNA scan and, and all the rest of it. We get a bit of a background on uh, on Barton who says he's only doing this because they're Brits and because his mum still reads their paper. <laughs> Which, Brilliant. Fair enough, and you know we get a, a scope of his wealth and. And all you know, flying's his hobby now, which is a little bit of foreshadowing for the end of the episode. Uh, Yaz has a little bit of a, um, a little bit of a dig at him. Uh, can't remember exactly how. I was about, you know, about Vaughn being able to uh, uh, to spread disinformation and online abuse, cyberbullying, and, and he's been accused of all of it because it's you know the world's biggest search engine again, very much 
Google allegory. Mm. Um, he makes some sort of vaguely threatening comment about seeing all sides of humanity and he can't trust any, everyone before he's mysteriously taken away on an urgent matter. Yeah, he's he's a bit of a... Don't get me wrong, obviously, he's, he's, you know, he's the bad guy of the piece and he, whatever, but sometimes he's sinister just for sinister's sake. So this mm. is supposed to be an interview with press and he may not want to do it but at the same time he's this you know big power businessman and high chief of this in, you know internet search engine stuff he's got this pr firm as well or pr department sorry who set this up for him he's almost sinister for sinister's sake isn't he it's like there's a bit of an edge to it that maybe isn't necessary at that time it's almost like you can't get to be a billionaire without being a dick mm. <laughs> yeah I'll just leave that hanging there. <laughs> Zuckerberg, Musk, McMahon. I do think kind of, even though he's fired half of his PR team, which I wrote, I didn't know whether they fired like half, whether horizontal or vertical. Um, Either way, it was out of a cannon. <laughs> and, um, like you wouldn't, they wouldn't have just a reporter just sitting there in his office. They'd have like, you know, the PR team, like, yes. around, like, obviously I'm not going to go at Doctor Who for not being, like, prescriptively, <laughs> like, realistic, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah they, just... I know what you mean, they wouldn't have him sat there on his own. No. Having this interview. But... There'd be a, gets, somebody with him. But then it gets even weirder, because he invites them to his birthday party. <laughs> To me, <laughs> <laughs> he's just vaguely threatened them, and then he says, "But come to my birthday tomorrow." Yeah. <laughs> oh my! Because that's where they need to be for the plot. <laughs> mm-hmm. It works. It works. <laughs> it was just bizarre. Um, Ryan actually has a good idea. It's a good day for Ryan. He says they're going to hide and then snoop around with the fake pass. But the bio scan reveals that Barton is only 63, uh, not 63, 93% human. I can't do numbers today, apparently. Uh, God. Um, we're back at the shack. Uh, CC and Browning, the two Aussie agents, are sort of having a bit of uh, tense time and feel like something's watching them. One of the perimeter... Can't do words either now. Uh, those perimeter alarm trips and the agents draw the guns and O asks, what have you brought here, Doctor? Doctor replies, I don't know, let's look outside. And Graham, relatable as ever, says, looking outside is actually quite low on my list. Yeah, and he's right. <laughs> it's the old adage of, you know, when there's a creepy noise in a horror film or whatever, why do people go towards it? Yeah. And stuff like that. It, you know, Graham's got his head screwed on. He, he knows the crack. What was that noise? I don't know. I don't want to know. I don't need to know. This this, <laughs> this this duvet will protect me. Exactly. It's like when the car makes a funny noise. Sharon just turns the stereo up and hopes it goes away. It's that kind of scenario, yeah. you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh god! I did quite like this though, where the agents are sort of circling around and they're liking it to animals stalking prey, and all the the lights are flickering on and off. It's quite a classic sort of horror misdirection tactic uh, yeah, but, but, but done very well and as we know flickering lights means shit's about to go down and then we get a look at when I say a look we get vague shapes made of light just appearing everywhere which I'm assuming has probably been done in the X-Files at some point yeah I think so probably it's been a long time since I've seen it 
I know I liked it. I just can't remember it. <laughs> <laughs> that should be your motto. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also, the silhouette of them here as well. It's almost like they had these kind of weird, almost pilgrim-like hats on, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah well, did, but we, sorry, go on, Beth. I did think that these, like, silhouette things in, I think it's either, I think season one of Doctor Who, um, don't know, don't know if you've seen this side, but um, like <laughs> you know, when they, they have the ghosts that like come back from the dead. Yes. Um, yeah. As opposed, to ghosts come back from the living, and I like this was just a bit of a tangent, but I do love when, especially Russell T Davis is pop culture references because I feel like when they do it in when Chris Chibnall's done them, they felt they felt so forced. But when they did like the Jeremy, I think it was Jeremy Kyle or something like that, is like this woman saying that she was in love with the ghost. Yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> brilliant stuff. How fabulous was that? Yeah, it was good. Uh, but this uh, this actually brings me to um, another one of the uh, another one of the cast because when we see the Kasavin and we hear the voices just a little bit later on, uh, that was an actor called uh, Struan Rogers. Who was also the f- uh, the voice of the face of Bo in uh-huh. both in both New Earth and Gridlock, and uh, Clayton in the uh, in the Woman Who Lived in 2015. Oh right, so, okay, yeah. So there That's you go. Cool. Yeah. And actually playing the uh, the sort of the light monster, actually there and you know doing the mocap and whatever, uh, it was an actor called uh, Matthew Roman who did. 20, he did 20 roles in Doctor Who from 2008 to 2020, and we've seen him in Kablam as one of the teammates. He was one of the geezers in the suits. Brilliant stuff. Very good. So he's, he's a new generation Pat Gorman, is he? He's got a long way to go to be Pat Gorman, but yeah. yeah. Also, he's not done any more work since. So. Uh, okay. <laughs> Gorman's a legend. You've really taken to we've really taken to Gorman, haven't we? Yeah, he's great, mate. It's great. The fact that he turns up in the background of like Z cars and uh, and like faulty towers as well, it's fantastic. And about 150 episodes of Doctor Who. Yeah, <laughs> and if you too are a fan of Pat Gorman, jump on the merchandise store, which will be tagged in the tweet and the description of this episode because we've got some Pat Gorman T-shirts now. So there we, go. <laughs> we we are founder members of the Pat Gorman Appreciation Society. We are indeed. <laughs> uh, back in Australia. Uh, the light monsters are basically they've taken out the guards and they're encroaching on the cabin. Um, oh, as a plan B, as the as one of them. Oh no, I fucked that up. Uh, the creatures surround the building and O's got a barrier that sets yes. up its, which sees off all bar one of them, uh, or they all retreat, and it comes through the wall and somehow O has this electrified cage that can stop it for reasons. What it, you mean the one that's in the building? Inside the building that drops yeah. from the ceiling, yeah. When that initially drops down, I thought it was just a bed sheet. Made of steel? No, because it didn't look like steel when it first... <laughs> no, not bad. When it first drops down, I thought it, it looked like fabric of some sort when it first dropped. To me, anyway. I, I worry what you sleep on at night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what, like... Like, transparent... Like, bed sheets... No, it's just it looked like some form of fabric dropping down. That's what I'm saying. Let's move on. Come on, leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> no, but we'll stick with this, actually. <laughs> no, because I don't want to have to ask Sai why his bedsheets are that stiff. <laughs> For God's sake. <laughs> what is wrong with you? We've got What's wrong with you, Daniel? <laughs> 
you started this with your glass and steel fabric. <laughs> oh, whilst we're at it then, okay. When the force field thing comes down outside the uh, outside the house as well, there's a split second when it goes down before the light all flashes through it. Look like bubble wrap. Yeah, see, I kind of get that. I thought you were going to say, oh, you thought it was a net. <laughs> yeah, a big net. <laughs> Who's a <laughs> net? Let's catch the litter <laughs> pilgrims. <then. I'm... laughs> Beth, you should be worried because I made that joke in my head as soon as I said it. <laughs> and if you're yeah. on the same wavelength as me, humour-wise, that is a bad place to be. Yeah. I would be very concerned. <laughs> <laughs> but I just like the fact that Graham absolutely shits himself when this cage drops. Well, you could have warned me about that. <laughs> just absolutely babbing himself. Uh, the Doctor tries to interrogate the uh, the creature and finally gets some words out of it, saying, you said, where are you from is far beyond. And essentially it was far beyond your universe or understanding, whatever it was. And then it just cuts back to, oh no, that was it. So <laughs> this alien tape starts taking the piss. <laughs> we take this form to mock you. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> <laughs> Your shape amuses us. We are stable now. We are ready. And so, you know, what does that mean? And he's like, to take this. And he's like, this what hut? Country, planet? And just looks at the other and says, universe. Now, you haven't seen Talk to a Children of Earthside, but I take it you've seen it, Beth. Yeah. I got, like, massive four, five, six vibes. Oh, yeah. Off that. Except without the screeching and the weird flappy tentacles. Yeah, not the weird smoke. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the fat cloud tentacle monster. <laughs> I'm intrigued. <laughs> <laughs> We've mentioned flatulence and, te- and tentacles and side perks up. <laughs> Don't want to see your search history. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Google, show me. No. <laughs> Not now, Si, I'm busy fighting with Alexa. <laughs> <laughs> oh god um, back at Vaughan we've got um, Ryan and Yaz doing the sort of typical spy thing and sneaking into Barton's office after hours uh, basically wanting to duplicate all the data on his computer they've got yet another gadget from uh, from the doctor and Ryan's bugging Yaz for his sister's number while all this is going on because we need some filler uh, but <laughs> we do know that's all it's there for yeah, it's just yeah, some totally, fill time yeah. Just to fill time and, and wait for Barton to get back because shock horror, you know, <laughs> that the boss is there after hours. I can't believe it. I never saw that one coming. <laughs> if I was a boss, I'd never work after hours, man. I'd have underlings to do it for me. I can't say I wouldn't be the same. <laughs> Barton gets into the office and stops dead while Raz while Ryan Raz and Yayan. While Ryan and Yaz. <laughs> <laughs> Are you okay? <laughs> I don't think so. Were you drinking last night? Well, yeah, I was recording with Rob, of course I was. Ah, okay. <laughs> but All I of a sudden, it makes a lot more sense. I only had one beer that was in double digits. Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> it was quite, quite sedate for me. Um, I stayed up too late making notes for this. That was a problem. Um, I'll let you know at the point where my notes start getting made after those beers. Um <laughs> I'm interested to see what I wrote. Um, Barton stops dead and says, I know you're here. And we think he's talking to uh, Ryan and Yaz. I nearly called call, call them Raz and Yain again. Um, 
the light monsters appear and they're essentially in league. Um, find out they're working together. All the stories starting to starting to pull together. Um, we find that Barton's effectively being controlled by them. It's it, it's not clear whether it's no. sort of a mutual thing or they've just got they've got the sort of greater power over him or or quite what's going on. Um, the visual of Ryan and Yaz just getting out from the back of the sofa after seeing this interdimensional light monster nearly choke out a billionaire was quite funny. It was a bit it was a bit Scooby Doo. Yes, it was a bit, but I suppose again it had to be that way for it to work, didn't it? Yeah, it did. It absolutely did. And, and but one of the light monsters is still there and abducts Yaz. As Ryan is about as much use as a chocolate teapot. Yeah, I was going to say this. Ryan must be just stood there like thinking, well, okay. I mean, don't get me wrong, he, he's, he's probably glad that he's not been zapped off to the, the weird cactus tree place or wherever they go. Or as far but, as he knows. Well, yeah, that's true. Kill, yeah. But, uh, you know, he must be thinking, what, am I, am I not relevant enough for this glowy pilgrim to kill me? Because he isn't. This is no, true. This is true. <laughs> you know. It's just when he, when he yells, give her back, and then runs away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've got, I've got to make it look like I tried. Give him back. Yeah, that, there's, my, there's my token <laughs> effort. I'm scared. <laughs> yeah. Runs off just as he goes. <laughs> Absolutely shitting himself. <laughs> Sorry, Beth. I just <laughs> <laughs> this is what it, this is what every episode breaks down to. Yeah. I think when we first started this, if you go back and listen to like episodes one and two and stuff like that, we were semi-professional, you know? You might have been. Oh, I think we were. <laughs> I don't think it descended into nonsense straight away. Yeah, well. <laughs> it'd be fine. Uh, but yeah, Yaz is in some sort of weird forest. Mm. I, I did at one point think it might be like Honey, I Shrunk the Kids and she was just actually in the fibres of the carpet. Right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> on my first reading I was like I swear to god if this is just that she shrunk down um, it'll be shit but thankfully it isn't um, you saying that reminded me of a thing I saw which was like if you shrunk the kids the, like the last thing you want to be like is honey yeah like you come to me and go honey and then the next thing you say is I shrunk the kids like don't start with that nah. get straight to the point oh, I haven't seen that film in ages oh. <laughs> It'd be more, it'd be more running around frantically going, oh fuck, oh fuck, oh fuck, oh fuck. <laughs> I, I, to be honest, you know, I'd probably just leave Sharon a note and go out and not come back. From <laughs> <laughs> the kids, off for a beer. I'll figure it out when I get home. Just, just, I'll just stick it on the front door and go. The kids are shrunk. They're in the carpet somewhere. Tread carefully, love. I'll see you in a couple of days. Some along those lines, you know. Maybe don't Hoover. <laughs> yeah, maybe don't. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Yaz is, is trapped effectively. Uh, back in Australia, the creature in the cage is, is glowing, it's getting more intense. Uh, Ryan starts seeing the creature show up on the exterior of the VAR building, and we see pulses of energy where Yaz is moving down the tree things, mm. which is all a bit weird. Uh, the cage creature's trying to overload the system. They're likening it to, to it taking a suicide pill. Uh, Yaz gets zapped wherever she is. The cage creature hits critical, and Yaz ends up in the cage, which yeah. has the power blown out. And I 
correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think we ever get a full reason as to why that happens. When it happened, it was weird. And it was, oh, well, that's convenient. She's, like, back with the Doctor now on the other side of the world. But when you think about it, we find out later on that these wibbly-wobbly white light war thingies, they are almost like portals, aren't they? They, they sort of zap people back and forth to different yeah. places. and they've got, like, so that, the little tiny mm-hmm. glass cages that they're all in. Yeah, so maybe that kind of... Maybe we're supposed to just figure that one out, I don't know. And I thought it was an interesting parallel after Power of the Doctor with the... um kind of glass cage that they degenerate in mm. kind of that okay, was an yeah. interesting parallel of Yaz being in there and the Doctor being outside and then in that episode the Doctor being there and Yaz being the outside oh, no, that's that interesting yeah you can come again this is good <laughs> <laughs> we're just figuring that out now yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do like it because Ryan doesn't call up and say honey I lost the Yaz um, <laughs> <laughs> the doctor of absolutely freaking out but thankfully as he's there and goes to pick up ryan everybody's in australia and then i think this was supposed to be an emotional scene with yaz outside the cabin and ryan coming to talk to her and yaz did very good at being scared and, and upset and ryan was about as emotional as the plank he was sitting on <laughs> she's uh, she literally says the line, doesn't she? I thought I was dead, and it's like, just like, uh, it's just like, um, okay, it's all right now, though. Okay, yeah, did I ask? Yeah, it's like, cheers, right? Thanks a lot, mate. <laughs> I do have this note saying, don't go on. Sorry, I do have this note saying, I don't know if it's the writing of Brian being so dry that it defeats any potential of me caring for them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, spot on. Yeah, I just. It's when he says he's never going to let that happen to her. I was like, what the fuck are you going to do? Mm. <laughs> like really? It happened already? Yeah. <laughs> you were there. Yes. You were in the room, dude. You, you, right, you <laughs> ran <around laughs> <me>. <laughs> Oh, God. Uh, we have a little bit of, of dialogue between Graham and O asking about his exile, and, and O reveals he's got a, a shed load of stuff on the Doctor. And it's obviously mm. That Graham and the, and the other companions don't really know any of the Doctor's history or who the Doctor actually is. But before the, before Graham can own, go and have a nosy, the Doctor calls everyone outside for a planning meeting over some iced tea. Or something that nice. Maybe. I've made iced tea, I think, or something. <laughs> <laughs> I found it in the toilet, it's yellow. <laughs> <laughs> Going over, again, going over Barton's DNA being 93% human. Um, and <laughs> just Graham again says, all right, MI6, help me with something because I can't get me nuts around it. <laughs> and he asks about, uh, it's just, a, again, it's it's just so, Bradley Walsh is just so fucking good. Um, I, I genuinely yeah, don't think they gave Bradley Walsh a script for it. No. I don't just, know. It, it, it's like with um, with Jim Carrey in the 90s in, in a lot of scripts it just says Jim Carrey does Jim Carrey things <laughs> and I feel like it's just like Bradley is Bradley yeah. <laughs> or Bradley asks questions <laughs> but he asks about Vaughn being more powerful than than most countries and I really like the the little speech here from, uh, from Sasha Dowan saying that 
governments these days are full of people who don't understand technology. So countries rely on outsourcing their tech requirements and expertise to private companies that transcend national boundaries. Companies like VAR, VAR seeps into every corner of modern tech. We're talking leisure, commercial, military. It leads the way on face tagging, bio data, robotics. Then there are all the military systems across the globe which rely on servers operated by VAR. Now that to me, cuts so close to reality and is probably reality it's actually when you think if you think too much about it it's pretty fucking scary i think before i comment on it i just would like to say that we're using skype and that's run by microsoft so you know i just love technology love everything (laughs) love my life I volunteer to be a cyberman (laughs) 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 headphones you might need a plus size like, suit for me, all I'm saying. Yeah. God, yeah. <laughs> God, yeah. I remember that. Because that was about 2006, wasn't it? Or 2007, mm. that episode. Mm. With, um, with him who used to be Trigger in Only Fools and Horses. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. I, I look at my middle yeah, daughter now, Liv. Again. I look at Livy now. She's just paid out her, some of her birthday money, Christmas money, whatever, to get these bloody ear pods. And she's literally walking around with it in her ear all the time. Because that's how she takes her phone calls, listens to her music, and all that. So every now and again, I keep looking at Charlie, watches Doctor Who with me, and then we both look at Liv, and we're a bit like, oh, okay, because we remember because of that episode, you know. Just waiting for the handles to sprout out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh god. Um, so they're just trying to piece it all together, and the doctors, the doctor finds an alien language in some of Barton's data in the furthest corner of the smallest system of the most obscure company in Barton's empire and trying to decrypt through 90 billion languages, nothing. However, there's some sort of function on the TARDIS open for new languages uh, and that does the trick. And it's, um, we, we're back to the steganography. It's uh, an image with the mini, with, with the mini image. I wish I could say this. <laughs> it's not usually like this, Beth, but this is every bastard week. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I've, I've given up cutting this shit out. <laughs> That's fine. I deserve it. It's the only way I'll learn. I won't fucking learn. Um, <laughs> remember back in season one as well when I used to beep out the swear words? <laughs> yeah. I used to put it's a just tar- a silent podcast. I, I used to put a TARDIS noise over it's over every time Dan said fuck or dropped a C-bomb I'd, I'd put a TARDIS noise over it thinking you know Doctor Who show kids might want to listen to this but after about three episodes I thought this is taking me so long because there's so many I might as well just fucking tick it as explicit and leave the fucking show as is yeah. there's not too many C-bombs you have to edit out though no one a season we said didn't we one a season I still think it should be one an episode <laughs> <laughs> um no, I've lost it. Lost where I was now. Sorry, two ticks. Yeah, so we're back on the steganography thing, picture within a picture, and it's an image of the Earth, and there are, it's basically all the attacks on the spies. And, you know, alien spies embedded on the Earth, and again, we're just running along with the theme. They still don't know what they're there for or why they're there, but the image splits into multiple Earths. And O recommends that they should go after the spy master. Barton's the primary suspect, so they all decide to get suited and booted and go to the uh, go to the party. Mm. This I liked because the doctor is still wearing her boots and so on. I thought that oh, was yeah. cool. It's great. Yeah. Bow ties are cool, as we know. Mm. 
Um, but yeah, they're all there, tuxedoed up. Jodie's still in like the three quarter length trousers and the boots on, as you say. And everybody just looks badass. Mm. Again, tuxedos, gambling, casino. It's, it's very bomb. Even the isn't music. It? Yeah. Yeah. And the fact the TARDIS just parked in, a, in like a vineyard. Mm. Yes. Just... <laughs> I, I was thinking in this episode, it's quite convenient that the TARDIS is now very accurate and precise. <laughs> yeah. True. To get it to where it needs to go. Like it never um, is. We, we we didn't see the fifty different tries that it took to get there. This <laughs> <laughs> should have had a caption underneath saying three weeks later or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> three weeks later in their timeline. <laughs> you see it like you know, Tegan sat at home watching this, just going, "Son of a bitch." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say before, actually, no matter how wooden and boring Ryan is, at least he's not Adric. Well, 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 yeah. Like, you know, but Ryan got a lucky escape. Yeah, he did. But on the just sort of back to the party, where it's when when Jodie walks up and says the name's Doctor, the Doctor, with <laughs> <laughs> a bomb trope as well. Just it's just brilliant. Um, it's a little montage of sort of the casino theme. Ryan and Graham winning everything on Red 7 on Roulette. The Doctor, <laughs> the doctor just getting card after card on Blackjack. And then you're <laughs> <laughs> standing up like, and what? <laughs> like, I like this as well because it really is, it's almost like taking the piss out of the Bond movies because whenever the Bond is in a casino, for some reason, like a casino, a bar, whatever, is where he's going to go and spy on someone, which is very convenient if you're a, a gambling alcoholic like James Bond is. And um, <laughs> <laughs> he wins at everything all the time. And it's just so cool. And, you know, especially in the 60s when he sat there with his cigarettes and, you know, the suit on and he's winning at cards and all that. So seeing them dressed in the suits and then a bar in, you know, Bradley Walsh and so on doing well, the doctor not getting the game at all and Yaz losing at dice and so on. I liked that because it was a spin-off, uh, well, a, a, a spin and a, a take on the cheesiness of the old Bond films as well. It was a good spoof. Yaz playing craps. Did we win? <laughs> no, didn't know what I was doing anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't like the point with James Bond, this is another tangent, that he's meant to like kind of, you know, any spy, like you're meant to kind of not be seen. Like mm-hmm. you don't want the, you know, manager of the casino to become... Christ, um, what are we going to do about this guy? <laughs> yeah. You know, he needs to be just sat in the fruit machines, like just kind of looking around a bit. Yeah, it's and, just and not not a successful spy, I'm going to say. And a big issue with Bond as well is that I mean, don't go wrong, he has code names, he has aliases, and so on. But I would say in pretty much every Bond film, at some stage, he introduces himself to a villain with his real <laughs> fucking name, <laughs> and it's like. <laughs> The name's Bond, James Bond. My mother's maiden name is... Yeah. <laughs> the last three digits of my bank card is... Yeah. <laughs> Here's my CV. Notice I am a spy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. But then after, after that, you know, it's all a bit of funny. It was quite a good sort of serious exchange between Barton and the Doctor. I thought, you know, mm. the Doctor asking all these questions that are completely accurate and Barton just trying to brush it off yeah but then ending it by saying or just saying basically keep away we'll just keep away from each other for the rest of our lives and then basically we get the car we get the car chase 
Yeah, on the bikes. Because which they learned how to do with the great Cal- uh, Calisperon bike-off. Mm. But, yeah, old Triumph motorbikes, a big, meaty Chrysler 300C. It's not a bad chase as far as they go. And, and Graham's screaming throughout it all. Yeah, I mean, that, that's... <laughs> There's quite a few effects and and so on that work really well in this, mm. but there's this scene here. It just didn't. There's moments of it that didn't look right. It's obvious that they're sat on the bikes on the back of a truck filming, and the way the bike is behaving and the way they're behaving probably isn't as accurate as it could be. But it's only a real small little pit, nitpick for me. Yeah, I can't. I can honestly say I didn't really notice any of that because I was just like I, I was like taken in with. The sort of the action shots where you could see it going right, and then also just how good Barton was at managing to shoot all the uh, all the metalwork on the bikes and how none of the bullets ricocheted into anybody. Mm. I'm sorry, also, sorry, are you sorry, upset yeah. that the show about the time travelling alien wasn't realistic? Yes, I am. Ah, uh, right, okay, just clearing that up. <laughs> I, I will die on that hill. <laughs> it's it's a really spe- it's a really selective specific annoyance that is complete arbitrary bullshit yeah. <laughs> but i'm pretty sure we've all done it at some point oh i do it every episode <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, they're basically chasing down to one of the four hangars and he, his plane's taking off because as we learned earlier he's a pilot and he's got a commercial jet and he flies his mates around and insults him over the intercom again though wouldn't he have somebody flying him? No, it's a hobby. Okay. Yeah, because well. he's so rich, he can he's learnt to fly. I don't know. I'm trying to explain this exposition to you. Okay. <laughs> he, he, he needs it, Beth. That's normally my job. <laughs> yeah, this is true. <laughs> this is just becoming also... a bit of a rough side, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, but then like, if he'd had this party, so why is this plane ready to take off? He called him on the way. Oh yeah, yeah, right. You got me with that one. Yeah. <laughs> um, the Doctor and everybody are going to sneak are going to sneak onto the plane. Um, Doctor Sonic's the uh, Sonic's the rear hatch open, and uh, who looks to be a bloke in his in his thirties gets out sprinted by Graham, <laughs> which I can relate to <laughs> to be honest. But perhaps Graham thought there was a sandwich on board or something. Gives an if, 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 <laughs> if there was a prospect of a sandwich on board, I might have beaten him if I was in that position. <laughs> um, but this is where the the veil starts to slip for for uh, when say about he's never been very good at sprinting, and the doctors read the file, and he was a champion sprinter. Mm. And I don't know about you guys, but I love this switch. Oh, it's so good! Mm. Absolutely see, fantastic. See his face just sort of fall into a smirk. And his whole tone of voice changes, whole body language changes. He says, got me, well done. Yeah, and um, I, I remember watching this for the first time and I'm really impressed that kind of it not gotten out that they were bringing back the master. Yes. Kind of, it was phenomenal and just, and even the references throughout of him going, you need to look for the spy master. Yeah. What yes. re-watching it, you're like, oh, this is so obvious. Yeah, that that felt that whole drop in of Spymaster and things like that Aww. felt more like that felt more like the Russell T era. Mm, definitely than, than the Jim Balls era. But mm. when, when the when the master harks back to that moment and says about when he said Spymaster, that I loved as well because it was it was mm. done so 
almost silly. But he's like, oh, yeah. I did say spy master. Like, you yeah. know, I, I, I thought that was brilliant, you know, because it is just so daft, but it works so well. The guy pulls it off brilliantly, doesn't he? He yeah. is phenomenal. Like, he's so when good he, in everything. When he tells him to look outside and then the, the, the hut is flying alongside him. Yeah. <laughs> and he, and he, he calls it a bit Wicked Witch of the West. <laughs> yeah, that was class. I mean, this whole scene here, I mean, this is basically mm. coming to the end of the first episode now, isn't it? But the master here is, throughout the whole of this sort of closing scenes and so on, every bit of dialogue, every mannerism, every facial expression, it's just so it's just superb it's just fantastic because this yeah. guy oh previously you know again I, I'm, I'm thinking about when i first saw it i didn't see this coming mm. not for yeah. a second and i liked the character of oh i thought oh he's he's, mm. he's he's a bit of a dude he's all right him you know and then that change it's like, oh why mind blown yeah. yeah and it was that thing of i knew like from the second it was the master revealed that he was going to be a phenomenal master and it was kind of like, this is exactly the right person for this. Yeah, I, I still can't believe it when I see people shitting on on Sasha Dewan's master. Oh, I don't even understand that. He's phenomenal. Uh, yeah, really great counterpoint to Jodie's doctrine. And as we've said, mm. as you've said a few times, I think they just bring the best out of each other. Um, yeah. But the, yeah, this whole thing when the companions, because they, they, they didn't have been told about the master. And yeah. he calls himself the doctor's best enemy. Mm. and it's just so accurate it's like he, he always has this underlying or not even underlying this just sort of like arrogance so near the surface and when he reveals uh, when he reveals what he's done to her he calls him a man very close to my heart oh well in my pocket actually, he's got the, he's got the <laughs> oh, real in a matchbox that is fantastic I, and, did, and, I love the like Delgado callbacks yes it's oh, oh, phenomenal and the, and the I can't the wait to see it as well <laughs> The thing with that matchbox as well, he's just sort of like, it tries to put it back in the one pocket, then the other pocket, and then just tosses it away. Yeah. You know, just... Oh, it's brilliant. I've said before on the show, but it's so accurate. My, my youngest, Charlie, when watching New Who, has said, the Daleks are bad, the Cybermen are bad, and this, that, the other. But the, the, the Master, he is the most, most, mostest evil. Yeah. Is, is her words. And I was like, yeah, that's right, Charlie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll find out Is this master- like... With the other one that they're like, I think this with this master thing and the whole like timeless child thing, which everyone really shits on, which I but I really like it. I think with like all the other villains, it's kind of like they have a reason to be a villain because it's like they're defending their home. Pl- it's like kind of you know the darks defending Scarrow, or it's like the Cybermen are kind of you know they have this mission, but then it's also the Doctor's been against them, so they have to like. Mm. They, it's like they're defensive in a way kind of yes they're evil but they're defending back they've got whereas a motivation the for the way they yeah. are which, yeah whereas a lot of the things the master's done has just been like for no reason except like in this season because i think it's really interesting after you know not that long after the end of missy and capaldi like they were kind of made up mm. and they kind of had a bit of a peace mm. with it and I think it was really, I think when it kind of, at the time, it was a bit like, well, why are they not in agreement again? But I think it's really interesting that it was a reason, it wasn't a, you know, Christian Mill was like, oh, it's the master, here we go. And for, just forgot all the previous kind yes. of relationship. I think it's really interesting that he's 
come back with the spite because of the stuff he's learned. Yeah. And well, I, I think it's great. <laughs> the, one, the one that got me is, and please tell me if, if it was addressed, have we ever found out how the Master came back from the end of Capaldi's era? Because no. Missy shot John Sin. Yeah. Who was her past self, but then we never really fully knew how John Sin got to be there. Yeah, because the thing is with it is that I don't know whether the Master and Doctor's timelines are the same. So it could be a thing where it's like Missy was like before John Sim or like it's like the well, Master's okay. timeline. Because John, John Sim acknowledged Missy as his future. Yeah, so I think they... So, I think but John, John Sim, but John Missy, Sim but, died. Yeah, John Sim, but John Sim died... I suppose we never saw what happened when he went into the when he went in with Timothy Dalton's Rassilon. No, and you could Gallifrey. say that like um, when Johnson died, he became like the snake thing at the start of the movie, I and love then that movie. oh, it's so good. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah, and then you know raised. turned into Eric Roberts. Um, we don't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do think it's interesting because it's that. The Sausage One Doctor now has, not Doctor, Master, um, has now the regenerative formula. Mm. So it's because, like, in Classic Who, when kind of, it was the Krusty Master and they were kind of near the end of their life. And then he didn't regenerate, he kind of went into a new body. Yeah. I, w- I wonder what the timeline is for the Master in... How many of that? Because it's never really addressed the chronology of the master. Yeah, but again, I don't mind that though. It's it's mm. almost like that that added mystery, I suppose, for want of a better term, makes it even yeah. more sinister, more more bit dangerous potentially. Yeah. You don't mm. quite ever really know, and it's always like he's got something up his sleeve. Definitely, you know. Yeah, it's one of those things where you can't have the you can't have Batman without the Joker, and you can't have the Doctor without the Master. Um, which, yeah, but on the plane when he says about ambushing, oh, on his day, on his way to work, taking his identity, setting himself up at MI six, and then just for some reason compliments the staff canteen. It's <laughs> <laughs> much like this show. There's always a little bit of a tangent with Darwin's uh, Master, um, the Doctor's. Tries to go see what Barton's doing. Uh, Barton's not there. There's just a, a bomb in the cockpit, um, which I was like, okay, I guess the plot needs it, but what? <laughs> yeah. And yeah, we're basically coming to the end of it. The doctor gets, doctor can't figure out the uh, the bomb. Energy creatures appear at the master's call. Um and then the master gets a great line. One last thing you should know in the seconds before you die. Everything that you think you know is a lie. Got you. Finally. Master teleports out of the plane. Doctor zapped off by energy creatures. Plane crashing. Doctor's in the in the weird tree land. And that's where the doctor died. <laughs> the end of the show. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Rob, Rob's favourite scene. <laughs> oh, no. He loves saying that. Yeah. And we've adopted it. Um, <laughs> so we're finally getting into the second episode Woo! <laughs> have the usual recap the Doctor's wandering around the weird sorry about the re- recap sorry Dan Jodie Whittaker going previously on Doctor Who that was weird 
Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't happen very often. I don't remember that happening. Well, that's that's the only time I remember it happening. I don't know if it happens again later on, but in class in New Who before this, it hasn't happened. So uh, I did not like that at all. No, because I always <laughs> think it's weird when the characters like have addressed that they're in a TV show, and then it's happened like before in Doctor Who. Gosh, I've just remembered this that once in one of the classic Who's, I can't even remember. This is going to be a really bad anecdote because I can't remember anything about it. <laughs> sounds like what it sounds. Yeah, it sounds. It'll, it'll fit <laughs> um, in well. Don't worry. The, the doctor walks away and on the TV in the show it says about or it's like either the Doctor Who intro or the kind of ident saying about a time travelling alien so within Doctor Who the show Doctor Who exists because like in the Capaldi okay. one there's a bus that goes past I think that's just coincidentally because they were filming it but a bus goes past with the poster for the show Right, brilliant. <laughs> so the show exists within the show, but I don't know whether it's just a continuity error or like, and I don't know the classic Who reference fully, but I always that's think that's brilliant. quite weird. Yeah. Doctor Who meta as shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to keep an eye out for that. I'm going to have to find out which episode, because that's like the um, the sort of classic one in Game of Thrones where somebody left a Starbucks cup on one of the tables. Oh, and yeah. Um, but we're back on the plane it's still crashing funnily enough a week later and Ryan finds a panel with his name on it Mm. which is a bit of a mystery and we're sort of flitting back and forth between Journey and the 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 tree universe tree universe um, and Ryan finding another panel directing him to see what's happening Um, the Doctor's following one of the sort of electrical light impulses wondering if the path that wears our synapses and just I don't know why this tickled me but when she says I hope I'm not inside a liver people get so offended <laughs> yeah that's random but funny <laughs> but it, it I kind of plants a seed of a story I want to see I want to know how the doctor ended up in somebody's liver and yeah. how people wouldn't get annoyed about being in other major organs yeah specifically the liver yeah but it's more welcome elsewhere or something yeah. yeah. I'd much rather if you were in my left lung. <laughs> Makes no sense. But not my right lung. That's my favourite. You leave that alone. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's, uh, there's a woman's voice uh, where Jodie is sitting, so she sets off to find her. Ryan's directed to seat, for, to seat 4C, and there's a little laminated thing with directions on what to do. <laughs> yeah. Which, which I thought was brilliant. Um, the doctor's trying to find the, the source of the voice, and it's a, a, a woman quite obviously out of time wearing very old-fashioned clothing who's pretty calm, pretty chill about the whole situation. Oh, I've never said that before, and I never will again. Pretty chill. <laughs> pretty chill. Yeah. Chilling. Sounds like right. All the time, though. Oh, no, that's fine with you. I just think I sounded like a twat. Oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we can't have that done, can we? No, if I'm going to sound like a twat, I'll sound like a twat on my terms. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Graham's reading instructions to Ryan to open the floor panel connector cable and the Doctor appears on screen and we get a uh, what I like to think is a bit of a nod to uh, to Blink yeah with the uh, with the Doctor giving sort of giving instructions and tell, <laughs> telling Graham not to panic <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I'm not panicking yes you were and did I just not and I did just say not to talk back to the screen yeah <laughs> I like that I mean Blink's really clever as well isn't it because it's the mm. 
when you get the reveal of filling in the missing parts on the videotape. Yeah. Mm. So I loved seeing that again here. It was it was cool. Yeah, it's a nice little thing. Um, basically, the computers that control the, uh, the the cockpit are all under the floor. So Ryan plugs his phone in, it downloads an app, and Ryan's flying the plane from his phone. Mm-hmm. Why not? Kind of, obviously, this is not great for the plot, but if the Doctor can go back in time and add this stuff into the plane, couldn't the Doctor just take out the bomb? Mm. Just save him a lot of hassle. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think because the bomb's already gone off in the Doctor's own timeline, that stopping the bomb going off would, have, would cause too much of a ripple effect. Stop with the logic. You're so full of shit, mate. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so uh, the person on the recording who's got brains just called it logic, and Sai called it shit. So I know it's a opinion oh, no, I'm I taking. Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> it's, 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 one, it's one of those moments that happens on the show quite often when something gets asked and you pull an answer out your ass instantly. And you do this weird thing where you kind of look up at your ceiling whilst you're doing it. Yeah. Do you want me to stand up seeing as I'm pulling out my ass? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, there's just a monitor in his roof and it's just like Russell T. Davis and Chris Chibnall just writing stuff on whiteboards and just yeah. showing it down. Going, this is the explanation. <laughs> tell him all. Tell him, all. <laughs> tell him he's a dumb twat. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> oh I done what? <laughs> Said twat, didn't I? Yeah, no, I was just reenacting it. All oh, right, okay. I got confused. It doesn't say much. <laughs> uh, Russell said uh, that we should move on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to remember to do that again in season four. Um, Back in the uh, back in sort of the tree universe with Jodie, uh, the woman with us called Ada, and she thinks she's inside her own mind because her body's paralysed on Earth. Uh, been here loads of times. She'll get out eventually, and just ne- I say needlessly verbose, but it's like really good <laughs> inkling of where of sort of what time period she's from. When Ada says, "Ask the Doctor if she has her own solution for egress." Because mm. it took me a second. I'm like, I'm, uh, contrary to how I speak, I'm actually quite good with words normally. Um, I was like, wait, hang on. Oh, it means exit strategy. Shit. Now I feel dumb again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, we find out that the creatures are called the uh, the Kasabin, and one of them turn up, and Ada calls it her guardian. And we've, that's where we find out that the gateway is to another dimension. The doctor takes a leap of faith, and we're back on the plane. And Ryan, all happy with himself, saying he can't ride a bike, but he can fly a plane. Yeah. Fair. Yeah, nice it's moment for like, Ryan, I think. It's the only personality trait he's got, though. Like, Yeah, that's not true. <laughs> yeah. It's not on him, it's the writers going, what can we get him to say? It's just exposition. We need a Because half of his lines are just like, like, are they going to be okay? What happens now? What's the plan? It's like, stop. Yeah. <laughs> Stop! Stop is the best way of with Ryan. If we just cut the, just if we literally stop. just cut him out, it wouldn't affect the plot. Oh, we've said that before, haven't we, Dan? Was yeah. it when we looked at uh, Kablam? Yeah, Ryan just didn't need to be there at all. 
No. He, he had one half decent bit where he was talking about what it's like working in a warehouse. Mm. It's just an extra person to like feed at catering. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, R- Ryan, mostly mostly harmless, utterly pointless. <laughs> uh, we do see the master inside what I assume is his TARDIS uh, in the time vortex with Barton and Barton's getting a, a little bit shirty with him and master sort of putting him in his place and saying a little chaos does a wonder, is a wonderful thing um, then we find out that the uh, the plane's been landed which yes. is a, a bit of a spanner in the works there's and, a notification on his phone doesn't he that it's, it's landed yeah, so his phone's obviously had the same uh, same jiggery pokery done to it as Tennant did to uh, did to Martha's and, all, and the rest of the companions. The, the master's interaction with Barton here I liked as well because Lenny Henry is a big dude. Mm. You know, he's he's well over six foot. He's quite an imposing figure in th- in this guise as well. It could have been quite easy for the master to kind of almost get overshadowed a little bit when they're having their evil off, I suppose, whatever. <laughs> and it doesn't happen. Because he he goes he turns around and goes up to him and says I'm not an employee of yours and all this sort of stuff, and he wasn't overshadowed in the slightest. Which again I think is is testament to how great this guy is. Yeah, Lenny Henry's got the physical presence, but but uh, Darwin just was like pure menace. Mm, yeah, yeah, definitely. It's brilliant. Um, <laughs> it did make me kind of laugh when the master starts banging his head on the screen. Yeah. <laughs> when he finds out that the doctor's alive, <laughs> how has she got there? And so there's nothing I can't deal with. I'll drop you off at your plane, sort out a friends. I'll deal with the doctor. And we've bounced around quite a lot from place to place, but now we're bouncing around in time as well because why not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Different portals taking us back to well, two different times eventually, isn't it? Yeah, Doctor wakes up uh, in the 19th century in the middle of a basically technology convention mm. showing off steam powered guns diving bells magnetos and, and grenades designed for use in the home brilliant stuff i mean who doesn't need a home grenade to be fair i've often thought that my sort of day could be improved with a grenade yes yes <laughs> <laughs> don't know how um doctor has to try and explain away how she's just turned up and decides to go on a big, almost like circus sort of showpiece about how they were privileged uh, privileged to witness the marvellous apparating man, lady, apparating lady, because the doctor forgot who she was for a second. <laughs> Which, <laughs> Which I thought was, it was quite a funny thing. Yeah. 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 However old the doctor may well be, been a man that whole time, you're going to get the odd slip up, aren't you? Yeah. Um, but the year is 1834, and she's basically marooned in the 19th century. Um we're saying about the about sort of the lack of realism at certain points and it not being a problem. The next bit we see is, is Barton at his plane and it landed itself via automation. There was nobody on board. And there's a guy who works for the airport there saying that this was really tricky to smooth over with the Civil Aviation Authority. Yeah, yeah like <laughs> this is not that saying, now nah, you'd be so fucked over seeing a cockpitless aircraft land. it was it was just such a bizarre little thing to put in that just again just made me chuckle Mm. they managed it there but nowhere else (laughs) (laughs) oh it was 
I was also thinking at least they weren't landing at Leeds because, like, it's notorious for being a shit runway. But there's a lot of there's a well-renowned dislike or discontent for Leeds in all of Doctor Who. Really? Like, obviously, okay. yeah, because there's like the bit when um, there's like the bomb in London, and then Catherine Tate's family have to move. Oh yeah, I'm not going to Leeds, and then the stamp leads, and then there's a bit in class which, like, one of the characters, like, the other parents got murdered by like the monster or whatever, and then the other character was like, "Where's your parent?" and he's like, "Leeds." It's like he's not distraught because he's like, "Dad's been murdered." It's because his mum's in Leeds. Oh, I feel for her. Yeah. So Leeds is better than Sheffield. <laughs> uh, I just I like how Graham's the only person to ever be excited that they're in Essex. Yeah, it's my manner. He says, doesn't he? Yeah. Goes all Danny Dyer for a minute. But again, <laughs> this feels like this just feels like Bradley Walsh. It just all yeah. feels improvised, um, and they basically resolve to do what the Doctor would do and try and stop Barton. So they're getting over to London because uh, Barton's giving a keynote speech there tonight and. Barton's calling in all his resources to track them. Uh, on, you just saying about um, Danny Dyer reminded me before they announced the new Doctor, there were kind of jokes online about who it would be. And um, someone said that Danny Dyer was going to be the new Doctor. And the first episode was going to be called A Dyer Situation. <laughs> <laughs> it would be a fucking Dyer Situation having him as the Doctor. <laughs> Could you imagine that though? For the bloody hell. The only person for some for some reason the one that popped into bed as well that'd be terrible would be Vin Diesel. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, Don, just Danny, can you imagine? I, I, I can imagine Danny Dyer in the long scarf from Tom Baker's era as well. So going, oh, a nice mm. bit of clobber, I'll wear this, you know. There you go. Alex are doing my netting and all this sort of <laughs> that sort of stuff, you know. <laughs> Trips over the scarf like when he played Billy the Limpet in Mean Machine. <laughs> yeah. Oh god! Um, Aid is with the doctor, um, asking who the doctor is and filling in on again, filling somebody else in on what's going on in two centuries' time. Um, there's a conspiracy that involves Ada's guardians and the assassinations, and Doctor needs to get to the TARDIS before and in Swan's the Master. Oh, and the really evil, nasty master because he shrinks people for no fucking reason. Doesn't need but, to do it. But suitably <laughs> theatrical. Yes. At least he does it with a flourish. <laughs> and a so wonderful what, top hat as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. It's much Massive. better than that. It's much better than the hat he's wearing later on. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Oh yeah. Yeah. Get your bingo cards ready, folks. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Masters in just shrinking people for the hell of it. The doctor offers herself up for the people's safety, and the master is just again just classic master saying I've got you anyway and then starts intimidating people for a laugh and has the line when I kill them doctor it gives me a little buzz right here in the heart how would I describe it it's like knowing I'm in the right place doing what I was made for which is just chilly yeah I know. and it's the randomness of it as well and it, yeah. oh. so but but this it, this goes back to right back to like you know Delgado's doctor just so evil so sinister you know or even Delgado's master. Them as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and he makes the doctor kneel. 
and mm. call him by his name, which is just such a it's just such a grim power play. Like just the amount of like sexual tension in the scene. I know that Michelle Gomez is at home just crying, screaming, pulling her hair out. <laughs> that she can't do this. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, imagine yeah, imagine if this was done with uh, with Missy and Capaldi. Oh, that'd have been great. Stop thinking about Michelle Gomez. Um, <laughs> sorry, sorry, talking to myself. Um, but again, it, it makes her repeat it louder every time and then says, when I arrange for your death, I expect you to, to stay dead. Mm. And this kind of... inconsiderate of you being alive. Yeah, how <laughs> dare you? <laughs> but this sort of tips the Doctor off that the Master isn't fully in control yeah. and allows her to start, like, sowing the seeds of doubt and sort of question the ally you know question the alliance between the, the master and the Kasavin and and Barton and and all of that and just as the master's about to say something about Gallifrey Ada fires off the steam gun mm. and there's one dickhead down on the floor having a moan that the gun wasn't made for use by a lady one, shut up. Two, not really the most pressing issue right now. No. The response was brilliant though, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Ada just claps him back and, and says, and yeah, I find myself more than capable. Mm. Fuck you. Yeah, basically. <laughs> Zip it, Porky. You're on the floor. <laughs> which is, the, doc- the doctor disapproves, which is just about as doctor as you can get. Even the use of guns to save to save their own life is just... Fair enough. And then, <laughs> of all things, the house grenade comes into comes into play. Yeah, and the Doctor didn't really object to the grenade, but didn't like the gun. Yeah, I always think the Doctor really pick, picks kind of weird hills to die on, especially with violence, because it's like, yes, they've committed genocide and is a war criminal, but I draw the line at guns. Mm. As we... As we figured out, as we've seen with Ace and Sylvester McCoy, it's only acceptable to blow things up on the Doctor's terms. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Or if you have a cool jacket. Yeah. Yeah, that too. <laughs> <laughs> um, after the grenade lobbing, we're back with, uh, with, the, with the rest of the TARDIS crew, and Graham's worried that they'll be conspicuous in the tuxedos, and Yaz gives one of the most sort of Yorkshire explanations, like, well, we've been on a night and we're just coming home, that's all. <laughs> yeah. Nothing weird. I mean, I suppose we've, yeah, I've, I've turned up wearing last night's clothes or suit and whatnot. <laughs> Just remember flashing back to the time I fell asleep in a hedge in Benidorm. Um, but that's a story for another day. Uh, and at this point, we get this had me flashing back to the Tennant and Martha Jones here again with John Sin as the master when. They were on the run when the master was prime minister because Barnes, oh, yeah. effective, Barnes effectively done the same thing, released all the names and, and pictures and monitoring them and forcing them to go underground, you know, frozen all the, all the credit cards and passports and everything. And it, there's a great bit where Yaz is trying to ring her mum and Yasmin Khan is trying to ring her mum. <laughs> Just yeah. like watching it all in real time. And, and I'll tell you what, credit where it's due as well. Ryan's good here. Because he's the one who destroys the phones and says they can trace us on these and so on. Brian has seen a movie. Yeah. <laughs> I have. Shit, Sherlock. <laughs> <laughs> I 
do love this bit when Lenny Henry's like, hello, friends, or plain feeds. (laughs) 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 Yeah, it was a really weird thing to get annoyed about. (laughs) He's got several of them. (laughs) (laughs) So they smash all the phones, and then we're back with Ada, the Doctor, and a fella called Charles Babbage, which Mm -hmm. is just a fun name to say, Babbage. Babbage. Don't know why I did have something on there, actually. Yeah, I've got some fun anecdotes about Charles Babbage and Ada Lovelace. Go on then, then, because I was was just going to go on about the actors. um, Well, um, a few months ago, I'd read a book about Ada Lovelace, which was mostly just about her dad's life. And I was like, okay, this is not really about her. But I do remember a thing about kind of um, Ada Lovelace and Charles Babbage meeting and kind of creating the mechanical calculator because yeah. before they had to use um, logs and log books and these kind of when you were getting to up to greater things it was getting much harder to get things very precise and an example of why they needed this mecha- um, calculator was because of this mathematician called William Shanks who in 1853 had successfully calculated 530 decimal places of um, pi and kind of went, great, I'll do a few more and spent the last 20 years of his life doing a few more. Um, But then there was an error at the 528th place. (laughs) So spent the last 20 years of his life calculating these digits. Luckily, they didn't find out that it was wrong until after he died. Oh, right. But so, yeah, he if, if, if he just stops at fi- 530. I thought you were going to say that's what finished him off. <laughs> <laughs> you would feel that, though. Just think, I've wasted all these years. I've just spotted an error way back there. <laughs> Fuck, yeah. end it. Fuck it, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the guy playing Charles Babbage, you might recognise, he's an actor called Mark Dexter, who was... The dad in Silence of the Library. Oh. I don't recognise yeah. that. I didn't recognise him either. Um, but, but there we go. Uh, I did, I'll just have a couple more. Um, was that Donna's husband? No, I think he was um, He was the little girl who was also the computer's dad. Oh, right, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think that's, that's who he was. Um but just a couple more of them. Uh, there's a couple of sort of unsung heroes uh, where <laughs> the credit just lifts him as heavy, uh, which is insulting, but a fella called Andrew Burford. Um, <laughs> that, that is legitimately his credits. Um, he's done stunts <laughs> in seven episodes since 2017, uh, and he was also in uh, Kablam as well. We had another guy play a Kablam teammate called James Rocky, who played a character called Franklin, who was also in Day of the Doctor as an extra. Uh, Helena Lee Dennis plays one of the students in this episode uh, she's done 11 episodes uh, between 2013 and 2020 uh, we saw her in Day of the Doctor as one of the civilian time lords but I found the best uh, credit for one of the actors and this was actually from episode one and it, that's for Lex Lamprey who's, first of all got a really good name but he was one of the artillerymen he was uncredited as a British colonel in Demons of the Punjab in 2018. And then he had two roles in Flux, uh, one of them as an artilleryman in episode two, 
but his first appearance was in episode one, and his credit simply reads, Man on Toilet. <laughs> oh. oh, I remember that as well, because it was Brilliant. the one next to Dan's house, and it was the hole in the wall. Oh, yes. When the, da- the house disappeared. Oh, <laughs> oh God, and I wow. thought... It- and I thought it was bad having a shit during a fire alarm at work. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. Man on toilet. Fantastic. I what a great on his CV and whatever. Do you know what I, mean? I hope he brings that up when he goes to auditions. It's on his IMDb. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, yeah, that, that really tickled me because who would have thought I'd be the one amused by toilet humour? <laughs> well, me. <But> <laughs> I was being slightly sarcastic. Um, no. <laughs> Hang on, when did this turn on me? <laughs> Shh, it's okay, just run with it. <laughs> okay. Uh, so Ada and the Doctor have their introductions, run through some of Ada's, uh, Ada's history as the daughter of Lord Byron and Annabella Milbank, and you know, she'd go on to be one of the, the great minds. Uh, but she's currently Ada Gordon at the minute, so it's a bit of a bit of a spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's quite interesting in this book um, that I read. Um, like, I remember it saying that her mum basically, f- not forced her, but really encouraged her to do maths because her father, kind of illegitimately, Lord Byron, who obviously was very famous for having affairs and things, obviously a poet, so very into English. Her mum was like, nope, you are not getting into that. You are doing maths. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> because I'm not letting you be like your dad <laughs> so, numbers not you know. words <laughs> yeah and it's kind of you know for that reason that you know if her dad wasn't as much of a you know slag we wouldn't have you know we wouldn't be able to do this like <laughs> modern technology isn't the way it is so you know that, that's yeah, the, life the only um, she was the only child born a very old-fashioned term i guess but born in wedlock i guess wasn't mm-hmm. it to lord byron and they yeah. had numerous other children from from the affairs and so on but when she was very little that's when lord byron upped and left yeah. so he didn't even know her during her her youth and growing up i guess and then later in the series we see lord byron um trying to flirt with the doctor yeah and i think um kind of in timelines like um Frankenstein's only like when that was written that was only I think that was a few years before the doctor and when Ada Lovelace meets the doctor mm. kind of I think it's only like 10 years before or something where okay they've Definitely. met not in the doctor's timeline in like human yeah. timeline yeah I just okay. thought that was interesting because you think it yeah yeah I love stuff like that yeah, that was, uh, Frankenstein or the modern Prometheus was written in 1818. This is 1843, so yeah, it works out yeah. timeline-wise. Um, at this point, we're, we're sort of introduced to the, what looks like a little statue called the Silver Lady uh, that was given to uh, to Charles Babbage as decoration and was a gift from a young man who said it was a token of appreciation from his master. Ooh. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's what it does, and it moves and on occasion on occasion projects the uh, the creature, so that's effectively the the gateway for the gateway, or at least the st- you know, stabilising element. Mm. Um, look cool, though. Yeah. Yeah, it looked decent. Yeah. And this is where 
we realised that the multiple Earths we saw before weren't multiple Earths, multiple time periods. So the spies are throughout space, is uh, throughout time as well as space. Um, basically, you need to figure out and find out what's going on. Uses the Silver Lady to conjure up a Kasavin to try and throw her back to the twenty first century. But Ada grabs hold and goes with it. And Charles Babbage, after seeing them disappear right in front of him, just takes a swig of his whiskey or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Which you would. Yeah. To be fair. Not much else you can really do, is there, to be fair? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, Graham, Ryan and Yaz are on a building, basically on a building site where they're building a new estate or whatever, because no security cameras, nothing yeah. about to find uh, sensible. Clever, yeah. Yeah, good call, Graham. Not uh, enough builders. Well, it's night time. Yeah. Builders definitely aren't working after the sun goes down. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they're sort of speculating again about what's going on, whether the Doctor's even alive. Um, and then we find out that both Graham and Ryan kept some of the spy gadgets. And Graham's got the laser shoes. Didn't he says, well, didn't use them on the plane for obvious reasons. And I forgot to read the instructions. <laughs> <laughs> and then Ryan still got the rocket cufflinks, but he didn't read the instructions either. And then, and then Graham just turns on him, tries to make Ryan out to be the dumb one, and calls him a donut. <laughs> <laughs> There's there's a bit that um, Graham says here that says that no, there's no one I'd rather be on the run with. Yeah. And I'm just like, mm. so oh, I made a really? short list and kind of you know the twenty seconds I put my notes down of people I would rather be on the run with. Um, from RuPaul's Drag Race, um, myself, Michelle Visage, who's like Ru- only famous for being RuPaul's best friend. Um, <laughs> the com- the companion Victoria, who's right. like. <laughs> you know how useful yeah. she is. Yeah. Um, Ozzy Osbourne. <laughs> he can't run. <laughs> <laughs> um, Matty Healy from the 1975 before he turned out to have like be more problematic than I thought. And then Dan Lewis, but specifically the edits of Evil Dan. If you've seen them. I wouldn't know. Oh, wait, yes. On YouTube. Yes. Yeah, I've seen that where they've edited John Bishop's character to look evil as shit. <laughs> yeah. And then I said, and any of the people from Linda. Don't so that was it. my reference. <laughs> On the um, Love and Monsters episode. Oh, oh. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Look yeah, at your face, Dan. Enough. Yeah. As soon as I actually <laughs> mentioned, Dan just like, no. Uh, it's, a, it's a similar reaction to when people mention Jeff Jarrett or Cody Rhodes. <laughs> He's just like, eh, eh, but. Wi-Fi's going. <laughs> I don't need to fake that most of the time. <laughs> it's a miracle it's gone well this long. <laughs> oh, that's a good list. I, I, I wish I'd have done that. I'd have done my own. Um, but, <laughs> but at the top of the list, the person I'd rather be on the run with would be the Doctor in the TARDIS. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I can't see what Ryan brings to the table at all if you're on the run trying to avoid things. Shove him in front of whoever's chasing you and make sure you're faster than him. Yeah, fair point. Yeah, I guess. I mean, he's oh. done his only useful thing in smashing the phones now, so that's him done for the rest of the show, isn't it? Oh, he had his joke as well. Okay. Right, <laughs> it's too much is done. <laughs> and here, here we go, chalk it off on your bingo cards. We're in Paris, 1943, oh. and then Nazi patrol is coming. We're back on Nazis. There's Nazis again. Yeah, yeah. I did... I did write down 
are we the bad guys? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and shock horror, the master's there in a Nazi uniform. Of course yeah. he's a Nazi. If it, <laughs> I just wrote my notes, bit on the nose, if anything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And he's got some form of scanner that's looking out for the doctor. Um, back with the uh, back with the other three, the creatures appear in the house, and they're running down the scaffolding. And basically, Graham just starts firing shoelaces and then having a bit of a dance around. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's the sh- and he's doing the sh- soft shoe shuffle. Yeah. <laughs> that's what he calls it later on. Isn't it brilliant. Oh, that's later on. Yeah. <laughs> And then things get a bit weird because there's an old woman in a wheelchair in a hangar and Barton walks in and he's basically he's basically had his mum retrieved, which is a bit creepy. And she does, she cannot be asked with his shit and it's hysterical. <laughs> and, but the Silver Lady statue's there and he's basically just trying to get some approval from his mum. Mm-hmm. I love this bit like when he's just slandering Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's so yeah. off topic, but I, I love it. I even tried like... to friend you on Facebook, and I don't yeah. like using Facebook. <laughs> God damn it, <laughs> mother. Unless I absolutely just, have to. <laughs> it just, because I don't usually Facebook, but um, it reminded me of after my birthday party, I like stalk one of my friend's mum on Facebook, and there was the most like passive aggressive post that she put on it the day after my um, birthday party, and it was like, when your son comes home pissed, rolling eye emoji, rolling eye emoji. (laughs) 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 Um, I think Facebook's a bigger shithole than Twitter, to be honest. (laughs) But, yeah, there we go. But he's, he's, it's, you know, all he, what he's saying all he wants is a well done and she just looks well done. Are we finished? <laughs> <laughs> I want to get I want to get home and watch Coro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Instead of talking to you, you billionaire prick. <laughs> and he he wanted to he wanted to see her on, on the last day. And she's on the watch so you could be the first and then the creatures appear and zap his mum. Mm. Like, that's a long that's a long way to go. <laughs> Again, it's just being evil for evil's sake here. You didn't need the whole bit with the mum, I don't think, other than to try and really just add to the evilness of this dude, you know? Yeah, Do that's true. Did added stuff out to make this a two-parter? Yeah, so, possibly. We've noticed that with, with some shows, haven't we, done where, where sometimes it's a two-parter, or in Classic Who, where it's like a, a four-parter or whatever. Or it's like a six-part episode, and it's like... Yeah. Mm. And it's oh, and like, so when somebody picks a ten-parter. Yeah, all right. You're never going to go, are you? <laughs> no, never. <laughs> but it's with the two parters. I tend to find sometimes they they feel like they have too much for one episode, but not enough mm. for two. So they have almost got to pad it out a bit to fill the second episode out. Yeah, it does. And that's um, what's good about kind of when they have the longer specials. Or I think this is the issue with it being on the BBC and kind of. Like when you have HBO stuff, it's like the variable time mm-hmm. lengths. Yeah. Kind of, it makes the episodes flow better because you've got the right amount in an episode because it's doesn't matter how long it is. Yeah, that's right. I mean, when I watched um, uh, the wife wanted to watch that Squid Game, so I watched that, and the episode lengths that vary from like an hour and ten minutes down to like twenty five mm-hmm. minutes. But because I suppose it's all on demand as well, and you're watching one after the other, it doesn't yeah. really feel the no. difference isn't there. I suppose. 
Yeah, it's. But at least it was, at least there was something happening, you know, happening here, and, and you're getting a sense of just how evil Barton is, yes. even if it is just evil for evil's sake. Um, yeah. I, this next bit was pretty dark as well, with the Doctor and, uh, and Ada hiding under the under the floorboards, and the Master without a word sending his sending the Nazi goons in, where this this other woman who's obviously helping the Doctor and Ada is just sitting quietly. And they come in, point the guns at her, Master walks in again, no not a word in the whole thing. Stamps his foot on the floor and the soldiers just fire into the floor. Mm. And there's no reaction from the woman in the chair. Mm. And there's just like sort of smouldering anger on the master's face. And he gets right up in her face and then just walks out. The fact that there's not a word uttered. Yeah, I think really it's, it's, isn't it? Yeah. It's brilliant. Really love that bit. And then kind of off offset that by uh, by by the woman opening up the compartments. <laughs> and the doctor just still <laughs> laid there in a tuxedo <laughs> next to a woman from the 1800s. <laughs> Like a hundred years before where they are now, and uh, we find out that the uh, the woman's woman's code name is is Madeline Real, also known as Nuri Nayak Khan, the first female wireless operator dropped behind enemy lines. Yes, and I would never have probably never have known her name if not for this program. Yeah, I do. I think it's clever um, in Doctor Who with kind of historical episodes, kind of educating people especially obviously younger people but kind of everyone really mm. about like historical figures that were influential that you wouldn't necessarily know about but then it's like a bit I always think it's a bit weird especially when they're kind of commenting on wars because it's like I, I felt like in this bit having the World War Two kind of part was just felt forced and awkward sort of crowbarred in it, maybe yeah it was crowbarred in and it was like Oh well, now the master's a Nazi, and it's like, all right, we get it. Bit... This guy's a this guy's a bit of a yeah. Scam. All right, we don't need it, but yes, yeah, <laughs> we yeah. understand. Yeah, I get it. It's a bit, a bit more of that sort of filler you were you were saying about him. I fully get where you're coming from, but on this sort of, my, I think it was my third watching now. I was just kind of along for the ride on it. I was, yeah. I wasn't. Shocker! I wasn't thinking about it too much. Yeah. <laughs> Which, I'm not saying that's what I do all the time, but it's certainly a trend. Um, but again, we're, we're at a point where the Doctor now has to catch somebody else up, mm. and we get and another again, yeah. we get another recap. And it it didn't bug me while I was watching it. I was kind of fine with it because it makes sense that the Doctor keeps meeting all these people. And keeps having to having to say it, and it didn't feel that intrusive watching it. But reading it back, it, I'm kind of looking at my notes, going, "How many times did this get reset and said again and said again and said again?" Um, but at least they did it in the most digestible way possible. Yeah. Um, there's a bit of a. I think it was meant to be a more poignant moment than it was between Ada and, and Noah. Where they're talking, where Ada's saying that this is the future, you know, a world on fire. Yeah, yeah, and she's asking, is this, you know, what's to come, isn't it, and so on, and yeah. what she's got to live through, and that, and yeah. And I, th- I think they were trying for a, a sort of deep and meaningful line for Jodie, but it just didn't quite land. Where mm-hmm. Jodie says, "These, these are the dark times," but it doesn't sustain. Like the doc, nobody talks like that, and more importantly, the doctor doesn't talk yeah. like that. 
just felt like a really out of place line, which doesn't help this all feel like very crowbatty. I always feel with a lot of these kind of meaningful moments that they have, they just seem like trailer fillers or like gif moments. Yeah. Where it's totally. like kind of yes, they should have this poignant moment because obviously like commenting on war and stuff, you know, it's kind of in human history it always comes back, but it never sustains. And I think it is a poignant thing to comment on. I just think kind of the way they go, it it just feels like they just add a line in for like a screenshot on Twitter or a clip and it's just like Make a poster or a t-shirt out of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's the Doctor Who equivalent of a Young Bucks match. Yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> oh, that's a comparison I never thought I'd make. <laughs> <laughs> but basically trying to figure out what to do. And I did, on the flip side of it, I did like when the Doctor realises that it's two pacifists and 19th century descendant of Byron against the Nazis in Paris and an alien invasion across multiple dimensions. And that's a very sort of, I don't know if it's, if it's prevalent in a lot of, with a lot of other doctors, but I notice it, I notice it a lot with Jodie Whittaker and the writing sort of in here. So maybe it's a Chibnall thing that they feel the need to add in that kind of summation of what's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As, as if it's, we can't follow along. Yeah. It's like, I think it's that thing that, fans would notice and then tweet going oh my gosh this is quite weird but then it's like just adding it in it's it feels forced again though does that come back to wanting those snippets in there similar to the line that we spoke about before because you can imagine that or something like that being on an advert on the bbc on a friday night advertising what's on saturday and making it oh i'll have to watch that sort of thing you know is that Mm. do you think that's there for that purpose potentially yeah. Potentially, yeah, but it it could have just as easily been put into an advert and then left on the cutting room floor. Mm. Yeah, fair point, yeah. You know, it didn't necessarily need to be there, but whatever, we got through it. <laughs> it wasn't too intrusive at the time. Um, Yaz is calling her sister from the phone box. Obviously can't talk long and we see the call being traced, telling them not to leave the flat. And then a Range Rover pulls up and we get Graham using the laser shoe to subdue the men who jump out and to get them to drop the weapons. And he says, don't make me do the old soft shoe shuffle. (laughs) (laughs) And then Ryan brags. He starts bragging that they knew they'd come and they're taking the phones and the GPS. And it takes the Asley now to say, Ryan, don't tell them the plan. And I've just got in my notes, dickhead. Why would you do that? Well, I don't understand the motivation for a good character doing that. He's a bad winner. Ah, okay. That is literally it. He's got, he's, he's got one over on him now. He's, he's basically, he's basically going nah, 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 nah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, fair enough. He's a step away from putting his thumb against his nose and wiggling his fingers. <laughs> Um, this is the point where I had to break off doing my notes and then from here on in it's notes I made when I was drunk so good luck guys fantastic (laughs) this is what everyone's really here for yeah it's it's (laughs) going to be disappointing because I wasn't as drunk as I expected to be (laughs) Um, the doctor's sending a message in Morse code now I was sat there going I know this I know that is this like the SOS and it took me a second to realise that it's the Time Lord Heartbeat and it goes all the way back to John Sim. And the and the tapping and and what Johnson used to hypnotise all of, you know all of Britain to be prime minister uh, minister fucking hell <laughs> minister 
and the master picks up on it and they do the old contact thing to make contact psychically um this was kind of a nice experience old school you're not the only one who can do classic yeah. <laughs> i'm never a big fan of that whole contact thing we, we saw it in the was it the three doctors we, we saw that yeah. as well yeah yeah, yeah. i don't at know least, at least a bit cheesy the, for me or i don't know at least they didn't have the flickering back and forth between the faces yeah true that mm. i'm pretty sure gave me a migraine <laughs> and they essentially like, oh go on no i was just saying back about the time lord morse code that kind of it was the double heartbeat of the Time Lord, and I think it's quite an interesting thing that's just incidental, really, that it's the same beat as in the um, theme yes. to the show. Yeah. yeah. I think that's really cool. Yeah, it's good. It is awesome. You can, you can really hear it in some of the 80s stuff, can't you, when it's a bit yeah, more definitely. kind of, that's all 80s synth version of the theme, and you can hear that sort of running through it there as well, can't you? Mm. And I think the music, like the use of music in this scene is really powerful. When kind of it has like the machine and then the louder drums right, surrounding yeah. it, I think yeah. that's great. Because sometimes great. Can be, we can have quite a miss on that, that Dan. Haven't we? We've had quite a few mm. episodes where the music has been really jarring at times, and it kind of almost yeah. you can see what they're going for, but sometimes it's a bit too much, and they they overegg the pudding maybe, and it kind of it, it it kind of takes away from what you're actually watching because the music is so jarring. But here, yeah. I think it works quite well. Yeah, in, in, I think in, in the modern era, that's something that they've, that they've done very, very well. And the, the music's always so good. Um, because even with, you know, with this whole sort of focus on spies and, and stuff like that, Torchwood's always more of a more of that kind of show. And I noticed mm. in, I don't know if this was just incidental, but in the actual intro theme for the, for the first part, they had like a sort of fade out at the end and like a whispering sound that sounded very Torchwood. Oh. Wow. Okay. But like I said, I don't know if that was just incidental or I'm, um, you know, drawing false parallels or whatever. But yeah, it, it does really good. Now, I, need, I actually need you guys to help me out here because the Doctor and the Master meet at the top of the Eiffel Tower and the Doctor says something along the lines of, it's cold up here, it's worse than Jodrell Bank. And the Master asks if he ever apologised for that. Is that part of Doctor Who history? Yes. Is I've got a note about this because I was... I was... Thing. Is that right? No, it isn't. No? It's a, um, from when Tom Baker regenerated into Peter Davison in Logopolis. All right. Because I've got this note. And um, I think this is really interesting because, unless I'm saying the really wrong tangent. No, that I, I won't know In the Logopolis, they're up high, aren't they? And the Doctor Falls and the Master's involved, yeah? Yeah, so... I. We'll probably have to like double check this. I'll just cut it out if I'm just saying the wrong thing because this is what my note my notes say. So hopefully it's right. But kind of that was that Tom Baker regenerated into Peter Davison. But I thought that was quite interesting that regeneration because Tom Baker had seen like the figure for yes. Peter Davison kind of throughout the episode. Yeah, and the, I think the White Guardian kind of thing wasn't mm, it? Yeah, and I think it's. And, like, kind of bringing back to the whole Timeless Child, like, story arc, I, I just think kind of that really brought it together. Because a lot mm. of people go, oh, the Timeless Child's just kind of added in. But I do think it's got a lot of connections yeah. to Classic Who. And I think that, that kind of, again, was a, the writer's very much aware of that. He's not just kind of pulling it out of nowhere. 
Mm. No, I get you. And I, I hope that is the case as well. Because if it is just throwaway stuff, then that's a shame. If they have got mm. those proper links and it's not just a coincidence, then I really yeah. enjoy that. Because, I mean, we say quite often on the show when we're looking at New Who, I get a massive kick out of links from New Who, even if it's just literally a throwaway line, commenting yeah. back to the classic stuff. I, I get a massive kick out of that. Yeah. Um, so they have the little meeting on top of the uh, on top of the Eiffel Tower the master's got a, a tiny Teutonic psychic perception filter, so they see what they uh, what they want to and see him as a, an Aryan, essentially. Uh, the master admits to um, assassinating C with a Mandrafian laser rifle in one shot, still got an eye for it. And they're just going through all the all the questions again, you know, about who, what's the plot, what's the plot, who, who are the Kasavi? Um, and essentially they're saying, think of them as Russia, but bigger. The sleeper agents everywhere, who are essentially amassing information in case they need to attack, and it's a dimensional invasion, which is pretty high stakes for start of a series. Um, yeah, but that's something else we spoke about with New Who, isn't it? As uh, well, as a gripe of mine, in that you don't tend to get as many stories where the Doctor is just rescuing a village or rescuing a couple of people on a spaceship. Mm. The stakes are always the end of the world, the end of the galaxy, the end of the universe. It's always so big and grand, whereas that didn't tend to be the way as often previously i think and i think this is an interesting thing that torchwood kind of picks up on is that they often get lumped with these smaller things okay kind of like if mm. you think about like some like smaller events and things like torchwood and sarah jane would kind of be tasked with those because it is kind of saying that yes the doctor is protecting earth but they're not always there mm. for everything and I think that's quite an interesting commentary on when they have the spin-offs. Yeah. Okay. The, doc- the Doctor takes the big stuff. Uh, yeah. Especially during like yeah. Children of Earth as well. Kind yeah. of when Gwen is like, kind of, I've heard about the Doctor, but, you know, this atrocious thing's happening now. Where, Where is the Doctor? And I think that's a really... You're not the only planet, Gwen. Yeah. <laughs> There's a galaxy and a universe and a whole reality to save God. Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah, uh, the Master effectively redirected the Kasavin's plan, or he alludes to that much, and then we're back with the, the other companions. Uh, they're pulling up to the hangar, and they find Barton's mum, who is in that sort of state of alive but not alive DNA rewritten oh. sort of thing and Barton's giving his um, giving his speech He's, he appears on an iPad um, so you know giving it the whole they know about his DNA and he's essentially the uh, the proof of concept and tells him to look after his mum and then Ryan sees the so Ryan actually he makes an observation as well as doing a joke and being a useful oh he wants to <laughs> calm him he wants to calm himself down this is why he's so fucking useless for the rest of the season. He's, he, <laughs> um, he realises the silver lady was in Barton's office. Uh, knows, uh, no contact London, as the doctor asks, and they have a whole thing between her and Ada and seeing extraordinary things. And there was it was quite amusing, the stuff with the with Noah and Ada and, and not knowing what the phone is. Yeah. yeah. That's again, it's, it's that thing, isn't it? It's, it's sometimes we've got so many companions that are of modern day. Mm. And I suppose even, even in classic who they're of modern day or some from the future. Mm. You forget that he's had, you know, the doctor, they've had companions from the past that would encounter these technological 
difficulties, I suppose, or members of the story that would. And I like that because we don't tend to see it as much anymore. Yeah, so I, th- I think mm. a good strength with classic Who is that, you know, you did have the, like, companions for all, from literally quite mm. all of space and time. And I remember seeing a thing saying that Clara was originally meant to be from Victorian Clara, but because okay. the BBC didn't like that, she had to be the Clara from modern day. Oh, okay, interesting. Oh. So that's why that's why we got that funny sort of rewrite. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Oh, that's the first time Clara's been mentioned on this show, that Sai's not just sat there going, ah, oh, Clara. Oh, I, yeah. I was, I was thinking it, mate. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, it's just what I'm thinking all the time. <laughs> See, I was just thinking, I was thinking, we've got company, down. I was just trying not to be too lechy, but there we go. <laughs> <laughs> but you find committing it to audio every other time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair point, fair point. <laughs> Wait, this gets recorded? No. <laughs> you're, you're recording it. I am indeed. Yeah, I am, yeah. You worried me then. I was like, I'm not, yes, I am, yes. <laughs> We then get a fairly feeble explanation as to why the why the Doctor didn't die when the Kasavin attacked her, and saying that basically just blames Artron energy and non-human DNA, which seems, like, which seems like something the Master would know. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, whatever. <laughs> yeah, so the, the Master's then sort of bigging himself up, saying that he raised the Kasavin's ambitions and ultimately they're just a mechanism and but they lack vision of sort of the ultimate carnage that he wants and, and going off on the big plan to betray Barton, to betray the Kasavin and destroy the human race and cause it a win-win-win. Um, then, you know, Jody's asking him, what, what's he doing it for? He says, how else would I get your attention? And it's like, what the fuck? That is just weird mm. and creepy. <laughs> but and I do think it's master. quite an interesting commentary on kind of their, like, relationship. Kind of like that, like, long-term, like, it's kind of like they're, like, intrinsically entwined particles. Like, kind of, they'll go their separate ways, but they're always, like, connected in Find some way. way back to each other. So yeah, yeah, definitely. Mm. Yeah, it's very much that way. And we get sort of the... The commentary on Gallifrey, uh, the master managed to make it to the little bubble universe and it was pulverised, burned, nuked and raised to the ground. And he then says, you should take a look, but you won't be able to, so I thought I'd let you know. And then at that point, troops are coming up the stairs because the doctor had no send a fake message that was designed to be intercepted, basically dobbing the master into the Nazis. Um, Which... You know, if if they're there, you may as well make them useful, I suppose. Yeah, but it's a bit like, whoa, wait a sec, whose side are we on? Mm. Useful well, Nazis is not a line like, I thought we'd be talking about. On no, it's not, it's not somewhere <laughs> I thought my mind would go either, but it did. Um, but she's, the doctors dubbed the master in as a double agent, effectively, and jammed the facial perception filter, and the master is apprehended. And it's all coming back into sort of they're all coming back together because the doctor has found Moore and they found the Masters TARDIS and basically going back to the, back to the future. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more sort of talking about the about the plot and the Masters' arrogance and 
uh, Ada asking what a computer is and said, forget the, forget you've heard that word or I've just disrupted the whole of history. Yeah, I do think there's quite a cracker of a line like when the Nazis get the master. Sorry, going back a sec. Yeah. yeah. There's a line that he says he, where he goes, you've always struck me as reasonable people. Oh, jeez. I glossed over that in my notes. <laughs> wow. I know. Well, Anyways, let's go back yeah. to... <laughs> Onwards. <laughs> uh, the doctor's still trying to figure out where the Kasavin testing human DNA fits in. Uh, Barton's now actually giving the proper speech, not just the one to the uh, the companions before. And he's basically mocking the human race for giving them at complete access to the lives through the phones, carrying cameras in the pockets, putting mics in their bedrooms, signing up the kids and, and handing them devices. Privacy and data safety has always been a lie. And now he can do anything. He can text every device on the planet and every device on the planet receives the message, humanity is over. You have three minutes to prepare. This is very much like that bit in Kingsman, if you've seen... It's not from 25 years ago, so you haven't seen it, Dan. No. Um, (laughs) When, like, like, the phone text makes them all violent, but then there's just lovely use of music with Freebird when everyone's just yeah yeah, beating each other up which I think was missing but I do think you know these two episodes do try and take as much spy references as possible they wear their influences very much on their sleeve don't they mm, yeah yeah Um, I I can't wait to get to that in like 13 years Um, yeah Barton spends a lot of time basically explaining that they're going to start using people as storage systems. They're rewriting them to store data for reasons as yet unknown. Um, The uh, the Silver Lady starts spinning and the the creatures start appearing and spread to all of humanity and Barton saying that a few people will remain sentient in order to supervise and maybe rebuild. But basically everybody else is going to die. Graham tries the laser and it doesn't work. Ryan shoots it with the uh, the rocket cufflinks. And the master comes running in, yelling at them to move away now because he's had the most infuriating 77 years of his life. <laughs> Which implies that he's been in prison. Hopefully. Really? <laughs> hanging the, yeah, hanging about somewhere at least, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he's, he's just spent 77 years twiddling his thumbs. Mm. But it looks well for it. Yeah. It <laughs> <does>. <laughs> it's almost like he ages really, really slowly. Um, then everybody's back together. Um, Barton's ordering an extraction. Uh, the Doctor Nora and Ada come in to stop the Silver Lady. And so, <laughs> I forgot something. They blame it on Alexa. I think uh, oh, that was it. Uh, the, the Khan family are freed, and, uh, and and the dad blames it on Alexa. So that's what's going to happen to you, Si. Yeah. He's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and two can play. Uh, we get a speech from Jodie saying two can play embedding things in history. Knew the Silver Lady was important, so built in a failsafe. So basically, if it ever detected the massing of a Kasavin army, it just shut down completely. And the Kasavin appear and basically betray the master because uh, she uh, you know they start going after him to explain himself and she plays the recording of the conversation where the master was going to betray him 
and the master in a wonderful call back to his own code name just says oh <laughs> Brilliant. it's quite an old re- regular kind of trope isn't it with the master because obviously when you're dealing with like cybermen or daleks or Silurians or there's an army of them the mm. master is just an individual who then needs to effectively mm. form allegiances he needs to work with others i guess so so many stories where the master you know is working with say well like, like missy with the cybermen for example and so mm. on and then eventually one party betrays the other and and that's kind of where the doctor steps in and sort of resolves the situation it kind of does it, it's a reoccurring theme i think isn't it uh, yeah, it is, it is a thing, you know, there's, with, you know, the, I suppose it happens with evil people, they're always looking to get one up on everybody. Um, but that's it, and Graham asks if they're getting replaced by Noah and Ada. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've written that and I was thinking, they would be much better companions though, like, it's not I out of the it. realm of possibility. Drop but, Ryan off, keep Yaz, keep Graham, and then keep yeah. Noah and Ada. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It'd do her a favour as well, mind, wouldn't it? Because uh, she was when the date this was set, well, the date that they met in forty three, um, she was killed in twelve months, wasn't she? She was executed by the Nazis within like a year of that date. So, yeah, true. Um, well, that that took things down. That ruined the mood. <laughs> I apologise. <laughs> how, dare, how dare you? How dare you ruin the mood with facts? <laughs> Uh, but the doctor says just about to drop them off, and then Ryan asks how she sh- how she saved their lives on the plane. So, oh bollocks! There are some times where I think if they just let the doctor drop an f bomb, yeah, <laughs> like <laughs> that would be perfect. Fuck, and then we, just in the montage where the doctor's putting all this together and making the panels, and <laughs> but just the only words that said throughout all of it is when the, the thing's been printed. I love a laminator. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but drop everybody, everybody off, and I, I just love it because I watch things with the subtitles on because it helps me note, note quotes down quicker. And it, when she's dropping Ada off, the tar- the TARDIS is landing. It just says warping. <laughs> I love it when it says warping. Yeah. Oh, um, so the other way, I can't have the subtitles, as we mentioned on the previous episode, Dan, wasn't it? I can't have the subtitles on anything because I can't concentrate if there's two things on the screen at once. Yeah. So if the subtitles are up. I find myself reading them and not watching what's happening. I can't do both, you know? Yeah. No, I'm kind of the opposite. I think I have to have the subtitles on because I can't, like, hear without them. Okay. But maybe that's just, like, having grown up with like subtitles yeah okay so you're kind of used like, to it maybe. um conditions yeah but mm. i do i do love when it kind of comments on the music when it's like ominous music or tense music <laughs> yeah. or... <laughs> just, it, i suppose in a way as well it helps with the writing the direction because it literally mm. tells you what you should be thinking yeah. <laughs> what i find i can i can quite with the way like a lot of stuff is but the, the way the sounds mix nowadays as well the sound effects are really loud and the talking's just normal level. So I yeah. can often I can often read it quicker than I can hear it, if that makes sense. Definitely. I think yeah. and I was seeing a thing online about the more prevalent use of subtitles within media and kind of the mixture between 
sound mixing being worse than before because it's kind of like an expectation that people will have subtitles on. And then obviously kind of other things such as kind of worse hearing and things. Mm. I'm like, I'm, I'm the, you know, it's a running joke all the time in my house and various podcasts and so on, but I'm, I'm legit going deaf. It's a, it's a genuine thing that's happening, mm. you know, and so on. Eight, 18 months time, I'm going to have to have stuff done and whatever. And I was about to say is the subtitles, you know, due to poor hearing as well mm. but yeah you, you literally just sum that up yourself but i, I won't i worry about that day if i ever need it medically i'm gonna be a bit um, <laughs> I, i'm gonna call a problem then aren't i you know <laughs> and that, that's when the doctor who pod finishes yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah um so we drop everybody off the doctor's on uh, on a run the tardis and then she sort of resets the coordinates to arrive on Gallifrey and the whole place is on essentially burning and smouldering and on fire. And there's a great, again, another another moment where Jodie's allowed to have a moment of mm. proper doctorness, if you like, with the close-up and, and the tears in her eyes and then just sat alone in the TARDIS brooding and thinking. And th- my only problem with this is, it's, yeah, it, it's great because it sets up stuff later in the series, but it just feels like it, the, the episode that won't end. Yeah, because there's, there's just, it's like, it just keeps going. There's a few natural jumping off points and it doesn't take any of them. Yeah. <laughs> more things feel tagged on, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, and the master goes off on this spiel of referring, you know, referencing the timeless child and how the existence mm. of the Time Lord and the society is all founded on a lie, but basically uses it as a whole thing to say, I did this. I burned Gallifrey yeah. because of the lies. It's buried in the memories. I'll tell you more, but why would I make it easy for you? It wasn't for me. And buggers off. Yeah. And, and I think it's quite interesting how, especially throughout this whole episode, there's been like relentless evil actions by the master. But kind of this is the first point where you think he's his actions on Gallifrey could have been like you can kind of empathise and maybe justify them because it's, you know, that rage of having been lied to and things like that. I think mm. so I think the Timeless Child's a really interesting dynamic for the Master. Yeah. I really like yeah. it. I, I like the Timeless Child thing as well. Yeah. I think it's it, it was necessary and had to, be, had to be put in there. Um, but that's definitely a story for another day, especially when I'm, as I mentioned before, <laughs> late for walking the dog. Um, so just, <laughs> just, to wrap, just to wrap up pretty quickly, um, the companions finally get the whole bond on Gallifrey and Casterbras. Time Lord can regenerate. Still the TARDIS ran away, been travelling ever since. And the Master's oldest friend turned enemy. And when the show was saying if you any questions and Yaz just says loads and Granger's can we visit your can we visit your home? I'm like, I want to see your house. <laughs> <laughs> and then we're off into the uh, into the vortex and that's it for uh, for this two parter. Um, I think a lot of fair a lot of fair criticisms can be levelled at it, but for me overall it's um it's a it's a pretty enjoyable two hours that's got some great nods back to to classic who and yeah, ultimately, ultimately enjoyed it. Uh, what did you reckon to it, Beth? Did it hold up to uh, to your first time of watching? Yeah, I do remember watching it for the first time because I think it was one of those things where it wasn't a week. It was like the day after because it was like New Year's Day and then the day after was the Sunday or something like that. So it was a weird like timetable of it. Or like it was, 
New Year's Day and then the regular day for the week after. But I, th- I do remember watching it the first time, especially with that master reveal, just absolutely unexpected. And I, I do think it is the first episode where you think, yeah, Jodie, Jodie is the Doctor. Mm-hmm. And that is by 100% helped by Sasha Dewan's master. Like, they both have brilliant chemistry with each other. They are phenomenal, and that that's what makes this episode. Yeah. Really. Completely agree. Sai, what about you, mate, on the, uh, now, <laughs> the first time you've seen it again? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um- I, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. I liked all the doc, uh, the sorry, the the James Bond touches, the spy touches, and like Beth said, the master reveals fantastic. And then once we get the master, the, the whole performance from that point mm-hmm. onwards is just evil, but funny and crazy, and everything you want from a modern incarnation of the master. Yeah, I think that the comment of this is when you the first time really when you're watching in date order that you really think okay Jodie is the doctor I agree with that I kind of felt that the first time round, and again I'll, I'll, from what I remember of the first time round watching all this and from what I've seen with our watchbacks for the show this so far to me is probably the the, the better written episode of Whitaker's time that, yeah. as the doctor that we've seen so yeah, I really again it's coming. We're very quickly coming to our end of season uh, countdown sort of chart effort where we place the stories that we've looked at for this this season of the podcast, and it's just another one that's been added to the mix where it's going to be, I think, the most difficult countdown episode we've done since the podcast started because there's so many great stories we've been lucky to watch this time round on. Yeah, definitely, it's. It's going to be fun to put together, and it's also going to be a massive pain. Because <laughs> apart from the apart from the bottom two, that's mm. that's locked in. Um, yeah, I think mine are as well. Yeah. Vampires are fucking Venice. Guess which dickhead chose that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's it's going to be great to put together, and it's been fantastic to talk about this episode with you two. Um, thanks for coming on, Beth. You've already signed yourself Thank up you. for. Uh, another episode to come back and defend love and monsters <laughs> but we'll uh, we'll we'll i can't do that yet i can't put not myself men- through not it mentally the <laughs> we'll, we'll see how we feel going into season five maybe <laughs> <laughs> but thanks again for coming on and i just suppose if if you want to put it out there let people know where they can find you on social media thank you oh yeah um on twitter i'm beth od underscore i don't really um i just tweet random shit really um just random funny things i see or (laughs) think about i just have a random internal monologue that just kind of makes me think about random stuff i'll probably i don't know what i no i just think random things so i'm not really prescriptive to a certain fandom at the moment so has to be seen to be believed (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh, Dan, whereabouts can we find you, my friend? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at DanGriffin21, usually tweeting about movies that are 25 years out of date. Oh, I fucked it up again. I fucked up my own outro. I cocked up the intro to yesterday's recording. I cocked up my own outro today. DanGriffin21, and I'm on uh, Unbooking the Territory with Rob uh, and on Unbooking the Tankatory there at UTT Podcast and at UTT Tank. Fuck it. I'm, I'm not doing the bells and whistles outro. I've already cocked it. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Anything I am involved in, you can find on the network that carries this show. So that is at SJP World Media on Facebook and Twitter, and all your podcast players, devices, platforms, and all that clever internet thingamabobs. Check us out there at SJP World Media. Make sure you are liked, subscribed, and all that stuff as well. Leave us a lovely five star review on all the podcasts because we are bloody fantastic. Uh, but most importantly, you can follow the show itself. And that's at the Doctor Who pod on Twitter. At the D-R-W-H-O-P-O-D. At the Doctor Who pod. So there we go. Beth, it has been fantastic talking to you in a scenario that I will hopefully be able to remember this time. Thank you. And so to you. <laughs> Honestly, it's been an absolute joy. I've really enjoyed it. It's been brilliant. I can't wait to have you back on the show. Thank you so much for taking the taking your Saturday afternoon and spending Thank it you. with us two grumpy old bastards talking about time travelling alien. Oh, I would have been spending my Saturday doing the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> Just with my dad. Fair enough. Fair enough. Dan, what are we doing next week? Uh, next week we're having our second look at Power of the Doctor because we did the uh, the episode about 15 minutes after it first aired so we're going to have a look at that again and see if it stands up to uh, to our drunken praise of it the first time around. Oh. Indeed, indeed. Looking forward to that. Well, I say looking forward to it. We've already recorded it, but if I, you know, <laughs> little peek down the curtain there, you know, blowing the timeline. There we are. Never mind. Okay. Beth, again, thank you so, so much for joining us. Dan, thank my you friend, for it's me. been a blast. I will speak to you again next week or last week or whenever this works. <laughs> I don't know. At some point in the future or past. There we go. And as always, to everybody else, thank you for listening. I still feel a bit sick of myself for saying useful Nazis. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, but I, it just reminds me because um, the other week um, I went out with my mates and I didn't even realise I sent this voice message to my pet. Oh, um, I'll, I might show you. You probably have to cut this out, but I feel like everyone needs to hear it. Okay. Apparently when I get drunk, I become more Yorkshire or just... So I'd had, I'd had quite a lot to drink and this is <laughs> what I sent to my family. You're not getting any judgment for either me or I on that regard. <laughs> Oh, gosh. I'm sending you a voice note. This is just easier, but I've just thrown up at Bingley Station. Embarrassing. <laughs> it's the most embarrassing moment of my life. But I've thrown up at Bingley Station. <laughs> great. I love you lots, Mum. I love you lots. <laughs> oh, that's not being cut. That's staying in. <laughs> oh, and bless... Oh, honestly, bless my dad. I'd... You'd pick me up from the station. So I don't really remember much of this, but we pick, um, we're outside the station and the police pull up. Okay. But then, this is not really relevant, but then my dad pulls up to pick me up. Obviously a little bit concerned. And then I don't really remember much about the drive home, but I do remember throwing up again and my dad going, no, not there. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
it wasn't a great evening, but yeah. That, oh, okay. that sounds like a great evening. Shout out to Rob for, you know, cleaning the Volvo. Sorry. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, God, he's, he's got... <laughs> He's got me and Chris in the car for four and a half hours coming up. <laughs> we go down to we'll go down to Woodbridge for the wedding. Oh god. Oh. That's, that's blatantly staying in or going gone on the end of the episode either way, so <laughs> I just phoned up at the station. <laughs> oh. so Stephen Fry's been shot in the neck with fifteen minutes into the first episode. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the first 17-hour Doctor Who pod. <laughs> you can't have another repeat of the AB episode. I, I, that took me three sit-ins to edit. <laughs> you thought it was bad when me and Rob took over. Yeah. Oh, quite right, Lloyd. Anyway. 